0: You better be listening to Slizoids, or I must break you. Chase, please. What well, we you sure want to thank you, Mister Herb? Wyatt Herb? What? You're not by any chance a Marshal from Dodge City? Ex Marshal. What are you doing up here? It's
1: none of your business. Why don't
0: you behave yourself? Go on, get out. Go on back where you are. I'm belong.
2: not leaving till she gets out of town. Bye.
1: The railroad, the boom towns, a new life, and the promised land. The first kiss is always the sweetest from under abroad some.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sleazoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary sleezoids which you can become by subscribing on Patreon.
0: Next week, we are getting weird with some sexploitation
2: and Doris Wishman. So join that sleaze, baby. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for... Uh, four and a half years, so we have, you know, over 110, 120 bonus episodes waiting for anyone who makes the jump, as well as our bonus transmission series, where we talk about new release genre films, which we have been doing recently. We just covered Crimes of the Future and RRR, Mm -hmm. so if you're interested in those, again patreon.com slash Podcast. And speaking of which, we did have a bunch of people make the jump this week, so let's give them their shout-outs here. We had um, Ben Nadeau make the upgrade from $5 a month to $10 a month and is joining us for the monthly virtual screening that we do in the last Thursday of every month, and a lot of people have been coming to those. We just did a really cool yeah. one. What, 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 who is it? We did a Mario Bava film, Lisa and the Devil. Surreal yeah. thing to watch with a bunch of people for the first time. We were so confused, <laughs> but it was great. Um, Very good. We also had Josh Grek sign up at five dollars. Aiden and Drew Chow, um, uh, Niroman Hakimi bin Nishashim. Oh my god, I'm so sorry, dude. Um, Marcos Zanchetta, uh, Rick Tracy uh cole fisher cameron fetter which i think is cam yeah that's from... cam
1: from pot about list baby hey
2: cam well welcome nice. welcome to the gang he did tell us that he's been listening to the show a lot recently so he finally made the jump um we also had uh I, you also could have just messaged me man i would have sent you some of the episodes you wanted um, <laughs> but no one else gets that deal uh, like samuel <laughs> thanks for signing up dude uh gregory thompson Hampus bystrom and we are still going pj endler Mr. C700, Daniel, Tyler Pere, uh, Johannes uh, Masid, Henry Ermer, Hermf McDerf, <laughs> Flower, <laughs> Daniel Backen. Wow, there was a lot this week. Bradley Watkins, yeah. uh, Pizé Jen, and Thomas Potter. So thanks so much to all of you folks for signing up. We appreciate the support and hope you guys are all enjoying those bonus episodes. Yeah, um, thank you. That's the one. W- that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are listening on either yes. one of those platforms and I see the stats, I know that you are. You can scroll down and give us a good old rating and review on both now. So go and do that. helps us uh, climb the ranks over at those services and find new listeners. Um, and then the very last plug as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the show, you can get that basically put on anything that you can think of. And you guys have thought of a lot of things. We've had people buy pillows. We've had people buy posters, hoodies, shirts, pens, blankets, everything. So That's if right. you want a uh, Sleazoids logo somewhere in your house, the link to that is in the description as well as over at com. But that is it for the intro Welcome back to another week As always I am your host Josh Lewis And joining me also as always is my co-host Jamie Miller, welcome
0: back everybody
2: Welcome I think uh, if I'm not mistaken Two weeks ago would have been the last time You folks would have heard from us And we would have done a gargantuan uh, Episode with uh, Mm -hmm. I mean they're all big episodes right now (laughs) At this point Um, yeah (laughs) Yes with our our friend uh, Jason Buford uh, where we talked about twelve angry men from 1957 and the Oxbow incident from 1950. Three, Dr. Sidney Lumet, William A. Wellman, both starring Henry Fonda, both two very stripped down, tightly directed examinations of the sort of masculine social pressure towards violence, the procedure of mob and frontier justice, and in their own ways, uh, very effective morality plays about the death penalty that are very spare and, and kind of simply drawn. But it was great going back and going uh, civics class mode with Jason. If you haven't heard that episode, that was fun mm-hmm. to talk about two weeks ago. And a good the main setup feet?
0: for uh, what we're about to talk about today. Yes, no, we we'll both.
2: Get to. Yeah, I was gonna say both of these ep- uh, episodes we did actually we we almost planned, yeah. uh, so it, it, it worked out. We did some Henry Fonda, and then we talked about Henry Fonda on a Western from 1943, and uh, then I went, well, you know, we haven't done a done a big old you know, sort of Western mode in a while. So I kind Mm -hmm. of felt like we should double down on it. So last week over on the Patreon for the exclusively for the bonus listeners, we went spaghetti Western mode and we talked, uh, not Sergio Leone, Uh, Not Sergio Corbucci, who we've also done an episode on, but we actually talked about the uh, Italian resistance fighter turned politically charged spaghetti Western filmmaker Sergio Salima, the third Sergio that many don't talk about quite as much. We talked about his film The Big Gun Down from 1966 with Lee Van Cleef and uh, Face to face from 1967, both films kind of taking the idea of sort of violent law men and liberal academic teachers who come to realize, um, you know, the sort of class realities of violence and war and money and have very, very dramatic character arts, uh, arcs mm-hmm. that like fundamentally change and shape who they are. So if you haven't heard that episode, patreon.com slash podcast, we went uh, hardcore spaghetti Western mode and also the big gun down. I think it is talked about, um, as, as a top tier one, but like Sergio Salima does, should have more respect on his name. He should be as well known as Corbucci is. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. His, his craft
2: is, is really very, very good. Yeah. But, uh, moving on to this week, we have a very special returning guest joining us. He's a friend of the pod and former host of the wonderful extended clip podcast coming out of podcast retirement for one last dirty job. (laughs) Uh, We have Eddie Averill. Eddie, how you doing?
1: I'm getting too old for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) We're bringing you back in. (laughs) Just when I thought
2: Uh, I was out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You guys are always fucking pulling me back in. I was done with podcasting. I was done with movies, you know. This wretched lifestyle. (laughs) But, you know, and and then I'm hearing some of these movie podcasts, and I'm like, you know what? we need w- an old school sheriff to come back and clean up this fucking this scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: eddie eddie i mean you're you know long long time friend of the pod long time listener of the pod long time you know uh we, we we've guested on each other's shows you know you know the drill the guests bring the double feature with them so what two films have you brought with you this week? What two films made you want to come out of retirement is the better question.
1: <laughs> so these are basically two of the best movies ever. I'm just going to be in full hyperbole mode on this episode probably Excellent. because we truly have two of the best films ever starring a man who might be my favorite classic Hollywood actor. You know, you have Cary Grant, you have Jimmy Stewart, etc. but Henry Fonda, something about the aw shucks charm (laughs) and the standing in for the morality of America that he did so many times carries so much weight in his filmography. Uh, Whether it's Young Mr. Lincoln, 12 Angry Men, The Oxbow Incident, My Darling Clementine, etc. So My Darling Clementine, this is just the peak of the classical Western, in my opinion. Uh, There are some weirder ones that I like more, maybe like Wagon Master, but if I wanna show someone a classical Western, it's gonna be My Darling Clementine. And then you have the revisionist Westerns, and a lot of them, frankly, not that great, But then you have Once Upon a Time in the West, which is like the ultimate international co-production where you have Hmm. fucking Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, uh, and Jason Robards uh, in a story by Dario Argento, Bernardo Bertolucci, (laughs) and Sergio (laughs) Leone. Uh, So it's like this is one of the ultimate films and you have Henry Fonda using all of that baggage from his representation of America and morality over the decades of his classical Hollywood films and just flipping it on its head. And he is the ultimate bad guy in this movie. One of the most menacing evil motherfuckers in Western history. Yeah, Uh, and he's having fun with it too. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It's like something was inside him and he needed to let (laughs) it out he needed to get it out dude because like we we've seen like horny henry fonda maybe like you know (laughs) playing outside the bounds a little bit like the three of us you know listeners might not realize this josh and jamie they're friends outside of the podcast and like do other things so you know we'll watch movies together sometimes and we watched uh the lady eve in seeing Mm. henry fonda you know uh horniness embodied in that movie and the aweshucks. one of the most down like,
2: bad men ever been depicted on screen barbara yeah, Stanwyck exactly. just dancing circles around him yeah
1: <laughs> it's so funny but like the way that he is dominated in that film becomes the complete opposite where he's the most domineering menacing oppressive force in western history in once upon a time in the west and uh it's and the scenes with him and Claudia Cardinal uh, are just some of the most uncomfortable things you'll see you know yeah. Uh, so yeah these are just two all-timers let's fucking do it yeah,
2: oh, yeah. Do, uh, what, what, do, what do you want to start with it you want to start with my darling Clementine or do you want to start with once upon a time in the west because I, I, I didn't know the order you wanted to do
1: so I I had figured we go classical and then revisionism but the thing is I I I think I want to do once upon a time in the west first so that when we get to my darling Clementine we'll be able to call back to all the things that Leone uh you know made into account yeah exactly (laughs) like uh took into account in the history of westerns and everything so we'll talk about the fun violent brooding one first and then the (laughs) classical one I think we'll see how it shaped the future afterwards. So let's start with the Leone. Yeah,
2: let's do it. All right. Let's talk uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. In a new land. In a new kind of Western... All right, we are talking Once Upon a Time in the West, the 1968 epic Italian spaghetti western film directed by Sergio Leone and co written by a who's who of the Italian (laughs) filmmaking dream team legends, Sergio Donati who did, uh, which is perfect because he was actually the co-writer of The Big Gun Down, which we just talked about last week. Dario Argento, he's very sort of like um, left-leaning, sort of like Marxist uh, Western writer. Uh, He also did Raw Deal (laughs) with Arnold Schwarzenegger, (laughs) which is always a great little tidbit I love to bring up because it's such a strange film to have written that. Uh, Dario Argento, obviously Suspiria, Deep Red, and Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, the conformist and the last emperor in this film, stars Henry Fonda, Claudio Cardinal, Charles Bronson, and Jason Robards. And this is only our second time talking about Um, Sergio Leone because we we we've done some other spaghetti western stuff obviously we talked about Salima we did Corbucci when we talked about the great silence and Django which are both incredible films uh but we've only previously covered a fistful of dollars so we haven't done uh you know a a huge Leone episode or a huge like Leone breakdown and so in in researching Leone I found some really interesting um Sort of, you know, sort of tidbits that I never knew about him, which was that, you know, obviously the big one, uh, everybody knows the man was born in Rome Uh, (laughs) and his father was a uh, silent film director and he was classmates actually with Ennio Morricone. Um, when they oh. were children and who went on to basically score 90% of Italian Westerns, including every yeah. single one that we have basically covered um, on this show and elevating even some of the lesser known ones like things like The Return of Ringo. But essentially, Leone, while a teenager, he dropped out of law school to work on film sets, which is the move. That's just the move everyone should make. And it, he was an assistant. I literally on... dropped
1: out of grad school to work on film sets and I kind of feel like Sergio Leone. Yeah, Eddie, you're really really the next honest. Sergio
2: Leone. You're feeling yes. like the American Sergio Leone um but yeah he and and he did that to work on bicycle thieves in 1948 and then in the, in the 50s went on to help write Some big sword and sandals epics, which are basically all Italian directors were making at the time until they became unpopular and had to move over to the Western. But he eventually landed himself as an assistant director working on American co-productions that were being shot in Rome, things like Ben-Hur. And eventually he got his debut film, The Colossus of the Roads, based on that. So, you know, the huge sort of historical epics. Is actually where he got his start, which was actually very revealing when you go and you move into his films and you see that, you know, there is a little bit of that sensibility to what he did with the spaghetti Western style, which he is a lot of time credited with, you know, not exclusively, but, you know, basically inventing for all intents and purposes and then inspiring a bunch of other filmmakers to work within that mode which was essentially using and borrowing this mythic western iconography and landscapes and history and using them as an easy access point to very violent engaging epic stories that then through style almost exclusively you could make them feel incredibly operatic and dreamlike and painterly wide compositions of the west and extreme close ups of these sweaty dirty men creating these worlds that you have a huge depth of feeling but are also grounded in you know the really dirty textures of these greedy loners and killers and you know all of these unshaved brutal men who you know they might make an honorable choice or they might kill a child you're not sure what they're gonna do scene to scene (laughs) And and
0: he also, he really just stews in the suspense. Like, there's so many just long scenes of people staring at each other and just the camera slowly panning over as it reveals more people that are going to be involved in the fight that's to come. But nine times out of 10, it's like, you know, one minute of gunfighting and 10 minutes of just incredibly suspenseful setup. Um, Yeah. And I love that. And it's, it just, it does accent just kind of like their location. There's, I mean, you can see around them, there's really not much to do um it would kind of be very slow and boring throughout the day and he accents that in such a way that i i absolutely love
1: yeah i mean talk about fucking make making slow and boring things into suspense Uh, you get the cold open of this movie where the amount of work that the wind is doing is incredible (laughs) just like adding to the The sound of the door
2: hinges and like the boots on the on the 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 you know the cracking wood and it's the screeching
1: chalk. (laughs) Yeah, so for those who haven't seen it, you know, we open on three guys holding up a train station, uh, you know, and you you, if it's your first time watching it, you don't know exactly why they're waiting for the train to come but they are waiting and you are waiting too. And this is a film with some of the best music ever by Ennio Morricone, but like it doesn't come in until 10 minutes in right? and so you just sound design off the start. Yeah. You just get this incredible soundscape of you know you have a leaky ceiling and you have the wind you know blowing stuff open and shut and you have the rustling of everything and that creaking and each of these three guys has their little business to do while they're waiting fly buzzing Uh,
2: on his face that won't leave that he keeps trying to like slap away
1: (laughs) oh so good dude the fly is just on his lower lip and just like how did they, did he put honey on his lower lip or something? I think, like, I think that I was know. what I
2: read, yeah. Like they actually oh, did yeah. put something to attract
0: the fly. <laughs> I also love the, then, what they do when he cuts away uh, from the fly because he he has to get to that point where he puts the gun barrel over the fly. Um, <laughs> and what they do is it, it looked like they took a dead fly and like put a string on it and just kind of made it go up the uh, the, the wooden side of the bench that he's sitting on um yeah and it's just a, such a cool effect after you see him you know fuck with the fly for like a good five minutes and it is a <laughs> real fly like you were saying they use i guess honey or something but then they transfer it over to the side and kind of use this little effect that i really appreciated
1: and then there's the leaky ceiling and the guy is just getting rained on you see that for like a 15 <laughs> second unbroken shot and then he's like okay i'll make use of this and he just like makes drinks a bucket it out his hat, of his right hat. yeah yeah and yeah, it just cools like, up on the top of his hat that he drinks it and that's like three different shots you know you're cutting between these three guys and i just love like the process of each of their little business while waiting for this meeting
2: yeah i love how um methodical and wordless and kind of ambient and just the the patience of it how filmed with wait, filled with waiting and with mm-hmm. doom the quality that Leone fills this with before you know actually like why it's important. This feels huge. And like, and, and, and ultimately this does end up being like a kind of like an intimate character story, but it also has this in, in, in my mind, it has this very kind of, um, funeral approach to the way that it, it, it tackles the genre and, and the imagery Mm -hmm. that it uses and, and everything like that, because ultimately like we'll, we'll break down as we go through it. But like, this is like just the story of essentially like three outlaws waging war on this battlefield of, you know, where in the background you have, you know, the, you know, the, the ideas of people fighting over land and money and quote unquote progress, but it's really informed by these intimate character situations that are filled with these, you know, very personal feelings, these feelings of, of revenge and violence. And, you know, these characters realizing that the way that this kind of world is going, that maybe these outlaws don't necessarily belong in it. Uh, anymore. You have Cheyenne, played by James, uh, is it, uh, sorry, it's Jason Robarts? Yeah, Um, Jason Robarts. Yeah. And and he he's this character who has this very dirty reputation as like a legendary desperado that is actually used against him. uh, And as a result, he's kind of forced to lean into it and be this kind of, you know, this bad guy, even though he is revealed over the course of the film to have a little bit more honor to him than his shaggy beard and terrible table manners would suggest. And then you have Charles Bronson. Uh, uh, before his pulp days, which is always a great thing to talk about. We love talking about Charles Bronson and like the Dirty Dozen. Like he was a really interesting actor around this time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he
1: was in Westerns for a minute. Like he was in Delmer Dave's Jubal uh, and his character in that is named Reb. Uh, which is just one of the great character names, Reb and Jubal riding around the (laughs) old West. Uh, But that like just seeing him in classic Hollywood Westerns before he went full pulp mode is insane to me uh, because he's just such an interesting actor.
0: Yeah. He has a, a real, just like stern confidence to him and they really take advantage of it in this because a lot of what this is, is him playing this kind of like ghostly Man, that's coming back from it. Almost seems like from the dead uh, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is just him staring at people, making them feel completely uncomfortable, like something's about to happen. Yeah, of they, they, they don't the even harmonica. give him a
2: name. They call yeah. him Harmonica. harmonica. And he Yeah, yeah he's yeah. he's a, and, like a walking atmospheric reminder of like mm. the savage and lasting damage that characters in the West have done. He he does, yes. as Jamie said, he's like a, he's like a vengeful ghost who his even his harmonica transcends the diegetic space and like become score and yeah, it, yeah. you know and and calling
1: way- him a ghost is so apt because of how fucking sneaky he is dude <laughs> the first like 2 hours of this movie every single scene that he's in he makes some sort of stealth prank entrance like right. the last yeah. time you see him obviously is they don't think uh, those three guys who are holding up the train station don't think anyone got off the train and then the train pulls away and he's revealed there and then right. you have him uh, in the barn uh, surprising claudia cardinale later on with his monica when he's like in the ceiling of the barn almost and yeah. then you have the scene where jason robards literally like throws a lamp across the bar to reveal that he's in the corner of the bar <laughs> like yeah he there's, he is a man who makes a hundred entrances in this movie and i love it
0: yeah and he he just like revels in it the entire time the uh th- there's another one i think when he eventually i think it's him that does the auction of like five grand and everyone's shocked and he gets to have another moment where he slowly walks down the stairs and reveals yeah. that he's been there the whole time <laughs> it literally happens yeah. like 10 times with this character and i just absolutely love it every <laughs> single time and i also know i was
1: gonna say weird auction
2: he, he's very theatrical but we, funny enough the, yeah. the bit at the auction it's actually him introducing cheyenne because he's yeah. actually letting oh, okay. cheyenne have his introduction moment. like he gets to have them where where he's he's just like yeah Cheyenne I'm gonna give you a sick ass entrance like all the ones that I've got <laughs> so far this time and 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 it, and it works with the story because at the point in the auction like they are you know they're they need someone needs to outbid for the, the piece of land that the railroad tycoon is trying to get and it's so funny they're just like does anyone else have any other bids and he's just like you know I, I mean I have a, an outlaw who's worth like five thousand dollars and like it's literally it's the price he's literally paying the auction with the price on this guy's head and then you get like the slow boot walk-in reveal of him coming down. He's like the reward is $5,000 for this man. Is that right? And uh, the great line that he gets where he's like uh, Judas was content for uh, $4,970 less and there and he's and he goes there weren't no dollars in them days and he's like, but sons of bitches. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but The thing is, if you think about that line more, it's implying that, you know, th- uh, I guess 30 years uh, would be $30 if you're talking about Jesus's death and just right. the relation between time and money and you know capitalism taking over over time i mean these are guys who are all realizing that as you said josh the the outlaw ways are long dead and it's like what are you going to use as your weapon capitalism or violence and these guys are kind of at a crossroads with that
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, and and two, this this relates to the uh, third outlaw because we have we have Cheyenne the desperado, we have Harmonica, this guy looking for revenge, uh, and who introduces himself throughout the film with the names of various dead men who were killed yeah. by the man he's trying to haunt, and why he is a haunting presence. Who is Frank, played by Henry Fonda, who is a, just a sadistic psychopath willing to see. Um, you know how uh you know how can he continue to be a cruel murderous tool in this new world he's the one who's actually willing to adapt and he's like can i continue to use what i'm good at murdering people gleefully and could that be put to work say working for a railroad man who is trying to (laughs) quote unquote remove small obstacles from his path like uh Carter uh Claudia Cardinelli's character like a family uh, (laughs) and this woman Jill who owns land that she shouldn't own that they want to build the train tracks through. Um, and yeah, ultimately it does kind of become a story about these outlaws and gunslingers from another time who, uh, take their cue and kind of let these other characters, uh, build the new world, but we have to have one last final showdown to kind of remove the old terrible things from it. And that's why, that's what gives it this kind of last Western kind of vibe to it, which is absolutely like what. Leone when he sat down with Bertolucci and Argento and Donati you know again he came up with the dream team and and it's even reported that they like esp- essentially sat in a room and just watched American westerns for like months <laughs> and they said we need yeah. to make like the last western like what yeah. what is uh, across all of these that we could put together and we could really wrestle with this history and this genre and make it into this very sort of mournful aftermath almost
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that there's a ton uh, just on the the wiki page here. There's a ton of r- film references that they do, including like oh, taking yeah. certain shots from like for instance, the uh, funeral of the McBaines. Uh, apparently, a lot of the shots are borrowed from uh, Shane, I believe, uh, from 1953. Mm-hmm. So just stuff like that uh, is really cool. It's just kind of I guess culminating. Like, lots of, of, of John, lots of John Ford, Iron Horse yeah. is in
2: there.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So, yeah, I I thought that that was uh, a very cool thing and and recognizable, too.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's even the reference to My Darling Clementine uh, when... Mm the the McBain plot when Claudia Cardinal first rolls into town, she's like, Where's Sweetwater? And then the guy cracks oh, yeah. up. He's like, that they call that Sweetwater. Uh <laughs> when Henry Fonda rolls into town in the beginning of My Darling Clementine, first he asks about Sweetwater and then is directed to Tombstone after. Uh and yeah. so just like little references like that. Like these dudes yeah. th- this is at a time where European cinephilia was all about, you know, How good were those fucking American movies twenty years ago? (laughs) And they (laughs) were right. They were so fucking right. You know, that's the peak of cinema is classic Hollywood in the forties, fifties. Like, they had the right idea.
2: hmm. Yeah. Well, and there was there was no greater indication, too, because I mean, like like Leone, obviously, he loved Henry Fonda for all kinds of films. And as mm-hmm. Eddie mentioned in the intro, like Henry Fonda, you know, in that era, like he stood in for like American goodness. He had a sensitivity yeah. to him. He had a boyishness to well, him. Josh, you remember know, the
0: uh, like the trailer that we used, I think it was before the Oxbow incident. And I included a little bit in the our, our intro in the episode. Yeah. And it's just him just being like, hi, I'm Henry Fonda. And I, I just really enjoyed this play, and I read it, and I'm like, I have to be a part of it. Like he's just this all-around. Has a good, good message guy. about all Americans yeah. should
2: believe in, you know. Like yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, he's 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 the lone juror who stands for principles in Twelve Angry Men. This dude mm-hmm, played right. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so in young mr so- lincoln there's a scene where he is at a pie judging contest like he is holding a fistful of pie in each hand and <laughs> taking a bite of each and judging it's the most american which one is thing better. anyone's ever shot like, that's right after he gives a speech like he's like uh he reads the book of the law and he's like well that's all it comes down to right and wrong <laughs> and like he is just america as a man you know yeah uh, and to see him in this film is just insane well that's what's so crazy because yeah.
2: apparently fonda wasn't that interested in like making more westerns at this point in his Mm -hmm. life but leone personally went to him and was like look i have an i i have an an idea for you i have an image for you if i tell (laughs) you this image and you're interested yeah and he straight up just describes to him the scene that follows up the train station shootout where harmonica takes down the three guys who are waiting for the train waiting to kill him in a in a great little you know again suspenseful shootout i love when he gets up and and you know again it the shootout lasts like five seconds and then it, but the scene still continues long past it because it's just him slowly wounded, getting up and looking at the corpses and dressing himself. And, you know, like, it, again, it's very slow and, and painful and methodical. But then you cut to this farm massacre. Where Brett McBain and his kids are like shooting pheasants and they're cutting bread. And, you know, he's very excited about the fact that his land is going to be valuable at some point um, in the new future. And he's just married a woman from uh, New Orleans who's coming into town and he's sending his kids to go get her from the train, who is Jill, who's played by Claudio Cardinal. Um, But before Jill can even arrive on the train in this farm massacre where, where we are introduced to Henry Fonda, which is what leone pitched fonda on and got fonda interested which he was basically like look imagine there is a gun and that gun is used to like murder a child on screen <laughs> and then we move up and you see his eyes and it is the icy blue eyes of henry fonda the amazing american and we want you to look exactly like how people know you exactly yes, you know thing.
0: he he like, like he, he has we, we want to horribly subvert your things. image Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, He still has this like nice everyday American man smile while he's slaughtering a
2: family, including a child. Yeah. He's like, uh, one of the first things we want to see in this film is an American symbol of goodness that everyone (laughs) recognizes. (laughs) <laughs> just absolutely murder an entire family mercilessly. And it's the whole yeah, family and, too. Like it's like, it's the little yeah. girl, like having the dad see, hear the gunshot and then look over in the distance at like the little girl as she falls down. And then he's like running towards her and getting shot, that amazing wide shot of them all standing in the bushes and then just slowly yeah. revealing themselves, like coming out of it in slow motion and stuff like that, incredible.
1: Yeah, they get such and an And you can even tell it's Fonda entrance. before you see his face too, yeah. just the way he walks. Like he has such a unique way of walking and standing that's just like, that's the right posture to have, kind of thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love
2: how the one guy even comes up to me. He's like, Well, what are we going to do with this one, Frank? This last kid who's alive. He's like, Well, now that you've called me by my name. <laughs> raises that gun you know (laughs) the gun the gun becomes this like uh, like out of focus handheld shot of the train and actually even the gun sound is connected to the train whistle like straight up showing you that the progress of this train track is murdering families along the way, like the corpses yeah. are paving the way for it quite literally in the image making.
1: It's, yeah. it's incredible in that sense. That is one of my favorite cuts in cinema. And also Josh, what you had said about this being kind of a funeral for all of that. Like this is such a perfect time for that because this is when classic Hollywood cinema is like officially dead at this point. This is 1968. You know, Uh, we've seen Bonnie and Clyde at this point, the next year, uh, Peter Fonda will be an easy rider and, you know, counterculture will completely take over, you know, studio filmmaking in Hollywood. Even before this, you had uh, Henry Fonda's son, Peter Fonda in like some Roger Corman uh, biker gang movies, you know, Uh, but like, I think that this is just a such an appropriately timed movie in that sense. hmm. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And well, and and, it, and it's felt, too, is the interesting aspect of it. Like, again, you have Morricone's grandiose and sort of like lush compositions that are always matching character. We talked about this with the, in the big gun down, but like one of his favorite things to do would be to come up with a motif for a specific character on screen and then constantly just like weave it through in moments where, you know, where like they're making an important decision or they are changing. And, you know, so you have Jill who has this like swelling, romantic, sort of like fairy tale strings to her character, yeah. the one who, you know, sees kind of like the the more peaceful world that could exist after these guys are gone you have harmonica's more like pounding ominous like epic guitar sounds that he gets cheyenne is gets honestly one of my favorites which is this cheap like bar organ like whistle (laughs) motif which is just very playful and very much suits his personality yeah. Um, and it has and that so, like
1: really plucky riff going through it. Yes, bling, bling. It's so good.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's so cool because the music shows you so much life and personality to these characters when they show up, and because the overall vision, the scope of what we're actually seeing these characters walk through and float through, is something that's actually very somber and very minimal and very sort of again patiently drawn out and paced to like really experience these characters' minds with their images and and again the the sort of the 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 myth and history of it, like how vast the landscapes are, obviously, but also like the, like the, the sets and like that incredible shot of like Jill coming into the station, for example. And the part where and 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 she she looks for directions inside the train station, and there's this amazing shot that follows her dollying along from the station or from the you know the actual train over to the station as she goes in, which and is then already camera... filled
0: with extras and detail and everything, and that's before exactly what you're saying, like it's all to the it's town. already
2: a big shot, and then it cranes up to yeah. reveal the hustle and bustle of the town over top of the train track. Like I've just never f- seen something that is like a woman getting off a train, and it has never felt this big and rich Real. and filled with filled with for her it's filled with like you know like a, a hope for a future because of the way that she sees it she's arriving there and she's hopefully going to be starting a new family and this guy who has property that the train track is going to get built by and he's going to build a station in a town around it and he's going to get some money out of that like again there's there's so much like little people hope going on here but the outlaws are still just out again she doesn't know it yet but she's going to arrive and go to that funeral that entire family has already Already been massacred, and we already know that too. So like these yeah. images are you know even the ones where the characters are kind of hopeful are populated with this this you know this downer quality yeah, the, I, the way I that s-
1: Morricone's score crescendos as that crane uh, floats over the train station to reveal the whole town is like, yeah, one of the greatest moments in this film because of how sad you know it is too, because it's like this great moment, but it's like, oh, she's about to go find her dead family. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, you, yeah you have the endless skies and vistas and possibilities and richness of the west and then you know you have the information that yeah she's gonna go just find all those corpses sitting in the dirt when she you know actually yeah. makes the trip over there because this is the one part they shot for this film in monument valley right the little uh cart ride that she takes across because it, it I looks think totally there's real one
1: scene there's one scene later on that is also her riding in a carriage across monument valley but okay. yeah they, they shot a little bit in arizona and utah uh for this and mainly it was at the cinecetta studios which is where they shot all those big hollywood epics in the late 50s early 60s that were in italy
0: okay yeah
1: yeah also viewers if you sorry listeners rather like if you've seen you know ben Hur or whatever like if you want a really great movie about hollywood in italy watch the vincent minnelli movie two weeks in another town it's a mm. uh, kind of a backstage hollywood melodrama about a production there at chinichetta studios
2: yeah yeah back to but, this one though
1: sorry <laughs> yeah,
2: no problem no problem um but yeah, I, I I do like that. Once again, like this is you know because a lot of the Italian westerns they they couldn't afford to shoot in in America and that was why this is so interesting is like this was Leone was popular enough due to the success of the Dollars trilogy that he was offered an American production and, and he said look I do like a lot of the great western filmmakers John Ford especially we will talk about the imagery in Monument Valley and My Darling Clementine but like you know he actually did get to use the incredible rock formations finally and you know again it, it feels like the last time someone went there and actually was like you know trying to recreate these kinds of shots that, that you know from a completely different time that's as Eddie mentioned like completely outdated and outmoded um, at this point but again doing it in these huge incredible scope compositions that just look amazing Um, I also love that
0: Morricone kind of he doesn't just treat the characters and like the plotting um, as something to accent but just when people are traveling in a big mountain shows he'll do a giant crescendo uh, Mm -hmm. just to accent the nature itself and just the beauty of the image Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love that too. And like one particular is when she's going, I guess, to the McBain house and and they just take their time with showing the actual journey there. They don't need to, but it's just so gorgeous. And the, the music accenting it is amazing. Yeah, the next thing I love that,
1: that happens up, in right? the movie is uh, Charles Bronson's like old timey torture device that he uses because there's <laughs> the dude yes. that he tried to set the meeting up with Frank through uh, because that opening gun down, you know, he thought he was meeting with Frank three of Frank's boys show up instead uh, the ones dressed who are in Cheyenne's the
2: gear. Too, to yeah. throw him off which is one of like the best details because I love that part when he meets Cheyenne and Charles Bronson gets this incredible line where Cheyenne is introduced he comes into this grubby bar and he comes in where Jill is there and Jill realizes that you know she's not in New Orleans she's not in the city life she's in this quiet country life as the shop owner describes it where it's just like you know we only have a tub to offer you that three people already used this morning and you know
0: like <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, says, it's just, I like that he says uh, that only three people
2: have used as if
0: yeah. it's like really good and she's like really oh all together deal.
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and and so you just get like these beardy, grubby looking men kind of all hanging out here and we get introduced to Cheyenne, who like I think in the in that scene, he literally uh, like escapes. And like he, he escapes like the authorities and runs into this bar and is like hiding out there. And all of his yeah. men were kind of late. And he's just like, you know, you know if, if you guys weren't, you know, I think he says that you guys were supposed to be my escort. And if I had waited for you, I'd be in jail right now. But he realizes when all of his men come in, Charles Bronson does, Harmonica, that all of his men were wearing the same dusters for the guys who tried to uh, intercept him at the train. And he goes, I saw three of these dusters they were waiting for, they were waiting for me at a train inside the dusters there were three men and he's like so and he's like inside the men were three bullets <laughs>
1: yeah that's that's an amazing line but my favorite line of that interaction is actually at the actual gun down in the opening scene when uh he's bronson sees that there's three horses and he's like uh, you know you didn't bring a horse for me and the guy says oh i guess we're one short uh, and then Bronson says, "No, you brought two too many." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Bronson is so Dude, good Bronson, at The one. Not only does Bronson.
0: that in um, like what was the? I how am I blanking on this? The five movies that we've covered on this show where he gets Death revenge. Wish? Death wish. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. one liner after one liner. So to get some real top tier ones from him
2: in this was was fantastic.
1: I love I too mean, that yeah, like this like, like men who go on to kill. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh.
2: Oh no, no problem. Go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say yeah it it, to speak like the opposite of Fonda having all of that uh, baggage beforehand then watching this as a pulp movie fan. This is the guy who shot the Giggler in Death Wish three. Like (laughs) yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is like the ultimate icon
1: as pull of pulp. He shot the Giggler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: oh my god yeah well and i love that like his prankish introductions he loves counting lines because there's another (laughs) part too where um cheyenne goes you know like that's a crazy story harmonica for two reasons nobody around these parts got the guts to wear those dusters except cheyenne's men and two cheyenne's men don't get killed that surprise you and i think he says well you know music and you can count all the way up to two (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude. And Cheyenne goes, you know, uh all the way up to six if I have to and pulls out his
1: his pole. <laughs> Oh, so man. good, dude. Yeah, there's like so many. This is one of those movies. Yeah, like there's it. There's so much like on the grand scale of this movie and the scope and what it means and also the style and the form, but also like it's just move a movie with amazing interaction between people on a very yeah. base level, like with the it's an amazing details. script. Yeah, great dialogue and you just have these fucking powerhouse actors giving it. their all like it's it's amazing.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I just we uh, we mentioned the harmonica, but the one thing I I love specifically about it is well, one how often it just shows up because he's around, and then it becomes this kind of like ghostly "where is he" thing. But the actual uh, sound design around the harmonica is really cool because it's not just a dry. Uh, harmonica that they hear it's got like reverb and a little bit of delay mm. on it and it just feels completely otherworldly like something that they're hearing from like a spirit realm or something like that. Well yeah
1: because it's like it's interacting with the Morricone score because yes. that's the first and note the of your Morricone. Guitars, yeah. Yeah, the first note that you hear of score in this movie is in that first gun down, the three-on-one, and then it's revealed that it's Bronson playing that note on the harmonica. Right. uh yeah. And, like, yeah. the interaction between the score around it and his original harmonica riff, and as you said, the guitar riffs that come in around it. So yeah, it, I think
0: it comes in when, um you were mentioning when he throws the lantern in his direction and reveals his face in the darkness, yeah, and then you yeah, get the yeah. harmonica, but then they do, like, a little and it's just so <laughs> rock and roll and badass and it's a great I mean, way to is just 19, introduce him this is
1: Again. 1968 and i think it's a really good year for ennio morricone too because the the kind of psych rock and heavy rock influences are coming in and you have his hmm. score for Teorima, too, the pasolini movie also from 68 which has this like light psych rock romp as one of the soundtrack songs and it's like just to see him taking in all of these like psych rock and heavy rock influences into his compositions which were already completely godly is yeah, so they, awesome and they, to me and
0: they still really work with this world somehow because i think before you know he oh, totally. would stick with the instruments that would kind of work within the western realm like strings horns you know that kind of stuff but just to add a distorted electric guitar in the midst of your like very reverbed and kind of uh,
2: atmospheric mm-hmm. harmonica it's just it's it's such a cool <laughs> oh dude and, and that that operatic singing oh, from yeah, the um, from like okay. the main theme too which is you know he uh, loved finding like these just incredible Italian women singers who could just mm-hmm. like hit things you just shouldn't you shouldn't be able to hit they just wail um, it's unbelievable yeah yeah and 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 it works really well because again it gives you the overall huge emotional feeling of this story that's taking place it's while like what also feeling
0: but won't express outwardly. Exactly. To like yeah.
2: Yeah, like it, it is like the larger tapestry of things that you are meant to be feeling while populating it with like this incredible like, you know, still making time for like this incredible character detail. Like I love the relationships that because, again, the larger story here is that this widow, her family was just murdered and her, they were murdered to make room for this train, that this, this railroad tycoon is putting through that Frank is working for. So Frank is this essentially assassin who is trying to, you know, uh, uh, grease the wheels of progress progress for this this rich man and he's willing to do all of the dirty things that he got famous for and was willing to do you know as a but he's also realizing that he might not need the rich man that maybe he could steal kill maybe take over him because the the rich man is actually kind of physically weak which is something that they kind of bring up multiple times throughout the film Mm -hmm. but also he has
1: like leukemia and it's deteriorating his body Yes. Yeah. So there's
2: this quality of how could someone wield so much power, but not actually be like a strong person, like standing in the room. Like It's very old school. Like, that's what made a man powerful. That's the world that Frank comes from. And but then also you have, again, these two outlaws, you have Cheyenne and you have Harmonica who have come into town with their own. You know, Cheyenne is honestly just trying to escape and survive. And uh, Harmonica is in town because he has a very personal revenge vendetta against Frank that he is trying to, which we'll get into the details of. But like. Yeah, that that is his mission. And the way that as a result, they just cross paths with this larger story of a railroad tycoon trying to kill a widow, essentially, Mm. uh, is totally incidental. But again, they filled it with so much great character interactions. One of my favorite is that Cheyenne. (laughs) I think, Eddie, you might have even posted the 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 clip of it on your Twitter. But like, yeah, Cheyenne is such an outmoded dude that the way that he talks to Jill You know, you watch it now and you're like, wow, that's just kind of gross. But you watch it here and it's absolutely the point that this guy is like from, you know, like this is this way of a man sort of like talking to this woman. He's this dirty guy. It's kind of, you know, the thing that's going to be of the past as especially we're going to see by the end. But he gets one of the most incredible lines ever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. no. Um, So in this scene, like he first is appearing at her house and like she still thinks that he killed her family, you know, and he has to convince her that it was actually Henry Fonda. And then she like makes him some coffee and they talk a while and you cut away and see some other stuff and then you cut back. And as he's leaving, I love that bit where she
2: pulls open the drawer and reveals that there's a knife inside and you can tell that she's totally thinking about stabbing him and he can see that on her face and he goes, you know, the world is full of people who hate Cheyenne and I ain't a mean bastard except what people make out of me. (laughs) So if someone's thinking about killing Cheyenne, they're going to fire him up, and it ain't going to be a pretty thing to see. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So they have this kind of heartfelt thing where now she's like on not necessarily on his side yet, but she knows that he didn't, you know, kill her family and she understands more. And as he's walking out, he says, you know, Jill, you remind me of my mother she was the biggest whore in Alameda and the greatest <laughs> woman I ever knew. And whoever my father was, whether for a minute or a month, he must've been a happy man. Yeah. <laughs>
2: love is in the air. So
1: fucking good, dude.
2: <laughs> like this is, this is the closest this man has ever gotten to being like, you know what? I think I love this woman. She's a beautiful woman. And that's how he describes
1: it. <laughs> 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 but uh yeah when you were talking about the train tycoon and like what means the train stuff uh, in this movie is some of the best
2: stuff i've ever seen in any western by the way oh of
1: course yeah but in terms of like what it means to be a powerful man at the time and stuff like that i love the first scene in the train car between fonda and him where henry fonda sits behind the desk and uh, he asked him how it feels and he's like it's almost like holding a gun except more powerful and, yeah <laughs> uh, and it's like he's immediately considering you know the violence versus capitalism thing we were just talking about and just i just love how swagged out henry fonda is in that scene dude he's like he's first he's chewing dip and he like leans out the side uh, of the train <laughs> window to spit it and then after he clears his mouth of dip takes out a cigar and lights it <laughs> and like i don't know why i just thought yeah, that and, was and, the coolest thing and ever e-
2: even the railroad tycoon is like did you really have to like massacre the entire family dude yeah. and he was just like well you know you know they're you know I, I the best way to scare them is uh is to kill them like they're, yeah, they're scared says, best when they're dying yeah that's it people scare better when they're dying <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like
0: i'm sure and they do. And
2: so so he'll say something completely train. cold-blooded like that but then they'll have the guy who comes on uh the train and he gets another incredible line where this guy is like you know he he, he comes to tell him i think because he's the guy who set up the meeting with uh, frank and harmonica and he's the guy who was being tortured by charles bronson to like be like why did you you know send these men who were there to kill me and not to set up a meeting with frank and, yeah, and so with this
1: crank operated torture device straight out of like a 60s mario bava movie yes
2: <laughs> it's it's an incredible moment and it freaks that guy out so that guy runs back to Henry Fonda to be like, dude, this guy, he means business. He's really coming for you. And Henry Fonda me is like, well, why did you come here? You just led him here. And he's like, no, I swear, I swear you can trust me. And Henry Fonda goes, how can I trust a man? And then he points at him who wears a belt and (laughs) suspenders a a man who can't even trust his own pants (laughs) (laughs) that's logic right there he like hops
1: up on those bars and kicks him off the train the way fonda pulls off that maneuver is so sick and he's so he's still so limber for like a fucking old man at this point it's pretty awesome but he kicks that guy off the train and then shoots him five times on the ground well and 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 did you notice he he shoots him in the
2: suspenders and the belt (laughs) <laughs> he literally shoots the, those things off of him that he just said were like the trash. reasons he couldn't trust him yeah and, and the and also the reason he signaled to kick him off the train and to be like i don't trust you anymore is because on the blurry horizon line shot outside the the window of the train he actually does see charles bronson's uh, silhouette his shadow on the ground mm, and so yeah. in that moment he goes Someone followed this guy. I don't know who it is, but someone's here. And so that's why he kills um why he kills this this guy who who led them there. And also and when he kills him, Cheyenne is like hiding underneath yeah. the train, which yeah. is just a great bit.
0: <laughs> and I like that he's about to warn him about Cheyenne, but he's already made the decision to kill the guy. So he's just like, nope, three shots, and then he's done, and Cheyenne is still under there. And I think, is this also the moment where they find uh Bronson up there and bring him in and start talking? Yeah. To him?
1: This is yeah. all like yeah. one
2: big train set
1: piece which is like a 30 minute set piece it's sweet
0: too because they actually have the train um moving as they're doing dialogue scenes and some of the action scenes and you can just see like the i guess it would be like their version of the green screen as the background is moving and they also kind of sway the camera a little bit to give you that you know they're on tracks and it's uh it's it's kind of moving them that way so i I do really like the the rear projection
1: and stuff is great Yeah. yeah
0: yeah it's really really good stuff
1: because it's a good mix of rear projection outside the window and actual footage of the train moving with people mm-hmm, doing for, stunts for the exterior, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when they start to get into the action stuff with uh, Cheyenne on the roof, it's That stuff's amazing. Oh my god! Crazy,
1: Just- dude. When Cheyenne fucking hangs his boot yes.
0: down to yes. the
1: window, so that one of Fonda's men is like, "Oh, I see his foot up here," and he sticks his <laughs> head out the window, and then Cheyenne fucking has his gun inside A gun of his in the boot. toes. Yeah, yeah. And, I love <laughs> and he that shoots they the cut. dude through this toe. Oh my god, it's so sick.
0: It's sweet. They have that close up of the the uh the boot tube right into the headshot and then just to let the audience know like what the entire plan was there they have this awesome wide shot of him actually on the the roof of the train as it's moving and he takes mm. off the shoe off his hand and puts it back on his foot really quick <laughs> uh like it's just it's so
2: it's fun and and it's just well uh well made. What? And the way that he's like the way that the camera is in like these low angle shots inside the train who and they're they're like they're hearing the footsteps on top and like you're you're in you're in with the goons who are like scared of whatever's happening. Yeah. And then a gun will just like shoot through a window and hit someone or and then he'll they'll all go gather at that window being like, who just shot through here? And then he'll like jump. He'll come through the bathroom and then take another stab coming through like a different direction. Like he's always moving. He's always like messing with these guys and scaring them and. Yeah, it, it climaxes with him doing that incredible bait with the boots, which, <laughs> yeah. he, again, has a has a gun in the toes of the boot yeah. that shoots this guy in the head. It even
0: explodes out the toe, too. You see, like, the the, yeah. the the actual boot explode and, like, the bullet hole and stuff. It's It's so cool.
1: So this train set piece is also a major turning point, not just because how freaking sick it is, uh, <laughs> but because this is where Charles Bronson and Jason Robards team up. So Bronson has been brought in, you know, fond men have him tied up or whatever. And in their first confrontation, Robards kept saying, you know, you know how to shoot or you just know how to play or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so then when Bronson's tied up and he sees Robards kicking all those dudes asses, he's just like, you only know how to shoot or you know how to cut too. <laughs> and so he uncuts them and then they team up for the rest of the movie uh, helping out claudia cardinale when they realize how much money there is to be made and how they can make an entire town out of the you know uh, land that she owns yeah Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I even like just the the shots of like all the men working cuz half the film yeah. in the background you can just see all these men like building the town cuz the whole point like is that they have to of
0: extras. It's crazy. Yeah, they, they, oh, they have huge. to they
2: have to like basically like build this train station and this town before the train and the railroad actually gets there. And there's also just right. lots of shots of the men like building the railroad throughout the film, like even when they were going past in Monument Valley, the guy actually has to like go through a part where they were building and they're like, "Hey, go around, go around." And he just like rips right through them like working on it mm-hmm. and stuff like that so the the entire backdrop is again this huge idea of you know uh progress and capitalism as as eddie said and all of these characters then you know finding themselves in a very sort of personal war in the middle of it and yeah I mean the, yeah. the way that they even like have characters describe it because like when, when Robards and Bronson team up which is like a great moment because those two you know start to really respect each other during that set piece where they're like man you're a pretty good outlaw you know like together they're <laughs> like this is pretty cool stuff and then, they, and then they both go man it's pretty easy to track these fucking like greasy money men how do they describe it they say like you have a slime trail like a snail <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they just decide that, you know, Frank has got to go. They both have a reason to be like, you know, Frank is framing Cheyenne. Frank has, you know, really, really hurt um, Bronson. But Bronson wants to see him go, but he doesn't just want to see him go by anyone either. There's one incredible sequence in this, which is so well staged and blows my mind every time I watch it. Because is, is it a sh- it's a shootout from the point of view of Harmonica who is trying to save Frank from getting shot and <laughs> murdered by revenge. his for his own men so that he can kill him later.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's no, such a cool
2: insane. dynamic way to film like a, like a town shootout. Like it's such a, a unique sort of like idiosyncratic way to do that because you just have Charles Bronson on the second floor of this motel with Claudia Cardinale, uh just naked in the bathtub in the background for most of that <laughs> of scene. Course, of course. Um, and, well, she's uh, washing
1: y- herself off because she. The scene before was her and Henry Fonda in, in an incredibly disturbing oh, scene yeah. that oh, God. opens on a ninety-degree camera tilt, like yes. from landscape to portrait, Yeah, that spins and scope. pulls and it, out, right? And it, yeah, and, it looks yeah. As if and it's Fonda on top of her, and it's so disturbing, right? And it's and the way creepy that it starts, as fuck, and that timing. bed,
2: the design of it, ooh. oh <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> yeah.
1: So the, the bed is d- is hanging from the ceiling; it's suspended. There's nothing on the ground, and it's covered in a mesh black top where the first time you see cardinale laying in it, it just looks like she's wearing a giant veil uh which yeah. is great symbolism for her husband just passing but then it just becomes so uncomfortable it looks when, like a jail cell uh, yeah, when her and Fonda are on it, it's like, oh, she's trapped in there now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that ni- yeah. that ninety degree uh camera spin kind of reveals that. Cause at first it's it's a little it's clear, like it's just them laying down. And then when it spins, it 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 shows the the bars that are around the yeah. bed and it just creates this kind of like prison image. Um yeah, very dark. And the lighting, you know, isn't very flattering in that scene. It's
2: very like dim yeah. and just uh gross and yeah. Very effective. Yeah, because Frank, <laughs> Frank, Frank wants her land. He was killing her family so that he could steal her husband's land, not knowing that he had married someone in secret that she now owns. And this, you know, this, uh, it's a it poses a complication for him, but one that he is more than happy to once again sadistically, you know, use for his own pleasure in that way. And even just like the some of the dirty lines he gets in there, where he's just like, "What a little tramp! Like you would do anything yeah. to save your own skin, wouldn't you?" And mm-hmm. she even goes like, "Nothing, Frank. Like this is like you know." She's she's uh, has to make compromised choices based on you know yeah. just being a woman in the West who's at the whims of all of these you know violent outlaws who for some reason haven't gone uh, haven't disappeared yet yeah, yeah so all all of that stuff is you know really disturbing um, and then yeah but then you get into things like this this shootout that are just like like insanely like as an as an action film yeah. this is just some of the best. You know, like, again, we have that train set piece. You have the suspenders and the belt shooting. That's like a gag. You have the boot gun. You have uh, this entire shootout. Where Charles Bronson is on the second floor, looking out, watching these men, and again you get that suspenseful build. You get the watching. You get Charles Bronson being like, "What are these guys doing?" Like these are clearly Frank's men, and he yeah. can tell before Frank does that they are going to betray him. And there's a part where he like shoots a guy through a giant billboard, and he mm-hmm. falls out of it like right through oh, it, it, it and stuff so like that. So painful. Like it, it's un. Oh wait, I thought you were talking about the guy that falls through the secondary roof. I think there's two. I think that guy falls through and like actually breaks through a roof that's yeah, done. Yeah, it, it, looks, al- it almost looks like it's at a high point.
1: The guy who's behind that like canvas billboard who's just like uh, pointing his rifle down that Bronson guns down. Yeah, he falls through tears through that billboard and falls. However far that is onto the ground and whoever did that stunt though looks like so that, painful that stunt man got fucked up. Did. Unless that's yeah. really he good folds. dummy work.
0: Yeah, he folds uh like pretty much on his upper neck and back and his legs yeah. go over his head. Like it is an unbelievably painful-looking stunt move. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it's fantastic. I mean, you really do see him come from the roof to the secondary roof onto the wooden platform and he just kind of lays there as he should after that move. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, it's it's fantastic. And also it this like it's a really good action sequence, but again, he, he still kind of uh, stews in the suspense. Like a lot of it is uh, Fonda walking around and looking for the people that are about to shoot him. Um, you mentioned that they had the, like the barrel of the gun through the billboard hole that uh, harmonica <laughs> notices. Um, there's just a lot of amazing lead up and they have my, one of my favorite shots is when um, it's uh Frank on the left side on the ground level. And you see uh, one of the guys sneaking up on the roof to, try to get an advantageous point to him. And he's just kind of sneaking up behind him on the right. And it's just such a great wide shot. and It just delivers all the information you need. Like he's he's looking for them. Someone's after him. It hasn't quite popped off yet. It's just, it's great suspense.
2: And, and even that part when Bronson is on like the second floor, like a balcony at one point yeah, and Fonda notices him. Yeah. And he's just like, well, I guess I won't shoot this guy. This guy's not trying to kill me. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Not yet.
1: So at yeah. the end of that scene, you know, Claudia Cardinale is like, Why the fuck didn't you kill him? Basically, you saved his life. Uh, and right. he's like, No, I didn't. You know, letting him, uh, not letting him die by his own men's different than saving his life. So then they have their <laughs> actual showdown uh, where they get a little, you know, some juicy dialogue before you get Bronson's flashback to reveal why he wants to kill him so badly. But he says that I love like, how
2: patient he is with that reveal, too. Like, yeah, it, it, it makes so, it hit yeah. so hard when it hits because you, you, you feel it you know it's there there's something happening under the surface you just again he doesn't give you the exact information until the actual flashback and those cuts are so good
1: yeah Yeah, and before the flashback they have that whole dialogue scene where you know Bronson tells him he's not much of a businessman and Fonda just says just a man and he says it's a rare breed Uh, to you know again as we move forward in time people are no longer just men they are businessmen you know yeah and 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 I love uh, that they
2: they call it to an ancient race is how they refer to it as like these these are like the original men the original violent impulsive you know like we we don't belong in an organized society where we're building things and, you know, working together. We're only good at one thing and we're about to do it.
1: (laughs) There's also a horse that is like gnawing at Henry Fonda's arm during that whole scene, kind of. And it's kind of like in the Lady Eve when he's proposing to Barbara Stanwyck and there's like a horse trying to eat his hair the whole time. Uh, It's just like hilarious that like at the moment where you're about to get the flashback to Bronson's fucking traumatic story, uh, you, you have like this horse kind of gnawing at henry fonda's arm and it just made me think (laughs) about that but you get the flashback to bronson's origin story which is where his brother died at the hands of henry fonda and henry fonda put him literally on Bronson's shoulders to hang him and stuff the harmonica in Bronson's mouth. Uh, yeah. It said play for your brother it's and wild. that's why he's been carrying that harmonica ever since. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and so, so literally if, if, if
2: he gets tired or he moves he kills his own brother and is felt you know, it's yeah. basically a form of psychological and emotional torture giving this kid responsibility for something that he's obvious. It's, it's the original saw trap.
0: Yeah, he's like yeah, you're going gonna- right? to <laughs>
2: Yeah, it, it's and it's really horrifying image. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that 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 amazing pullout where you can just see like the the, the piece of like round uh, like arch that's there that Dude. he's hanging from, and it yeah, slowly it's such a minimal zooms out set
1: too. It's yeah. like that set is just he, that arch that they're hanging on, and then the background I'm pretty sure is a matte painting and it feels a little disorienting, but I love that because it's a flashback and because Bronson, you know, as a kid looks nothing like him Too Charles Bronson's child actor uh, (laughs) is like a Mexican kid. Like he looks nothing like Charles Bronson, which I think is hilarious because it's just like time has weathered these people so much and their memories are so affected at this point and it's this one event this one dramatic traumatic scene that has shaped Charles Bronson's characters entire purpose you know yeah Uh, and the entirety of how they
2: feel their environments out right like all like all of that feeling that we've been getting through the slow builds up and through like the huge harmonica and electric guitar sounds of that feel like rageful and the huge, you know, the huge moment, like even when they're basically admitting like, okay, we're gonna have this duel and at the point of dying, you're gonna know why we're having this duel. And, you know, like Fonda's like taking off his jacket and throwing it into the dust. And you have close ups of the of the boots hitting the grounds and, you know, the house and the landscape, these like rotating point of view wides of them see like like eyeballing each other followed by like these extreme close ups of their eyes and you know again it's just it's so filled in the way that it's cut and the way that it sounds with Morricone's score with so much history and passion um, that then yeah it's so great to finally have it like actually you know sort of like literally you understand why uh, all of that is there and then it just snaps right back they're like now you know you know what's in his head back to the duel and yeah he just you know they they both shoot and you know you get this moment where you're not sure who's kind of hit who for a second and fonda just trying to put his gun back in his holster just misses it falls to his knees reveals that you know chest shot in like the slow zoom out and him framed against the huge blue sky while bronson like walks into frame on the other side oh, being so good it's amazing
1: and I love those yeah. close ups you were talking about of the eyes because Leone will shoot these in normal close ups where the frame, you know, the top of the frame is like their forehead and the bottom of the frame is their chin. And then from there, he'll do a slow zoom in to where the eyes are the entire frame almost. And it's so beautiful because. You know, there, there was a problem with scope when they first started using it with close-ups. If you watch the 50s classic Hollywood movies, close-ups can be a little weird in scope because they really only take up the middle third of the frame. But when you zoom in to the point where the entire frame is the eye line, it actually fits perfect into the scope frame. And so mm-hmm. when Leone does these extreme close-ups on the eyes, it's just... I think, you know, you think of these giant vistas with scope, but I think those close-ups on the eyes are as good a use of the aspect ratio as there ever has been. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, So after that, like Bronson leaves and like there's a really impassioned scene between him and Claudia Cardinale where it's like, yeah, no, he's going to leave because he did his duty, whatever. And then like right after that super long, impassioned scene, Jason Robards is just like, well, I got to go too. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, and I and I, and I, I love too.
2: Yeah, because he's 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 mortally wounded as well, which is the thing, too. And it's so funny that, like, again, it's so it's filled with so much like larger meaning about like these men don't belong in this world that, you know, she is about to build. You know, like they're it's a mm. woman inherits the earth kind of, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> passing of the torch moment that these men are giving her this land that, you know, it is hers. And, you know, but they're saying they're not letting it get stolen by the other men and being like all those people are killed. Now you do what you want with your land. Um but he can't help but also be crude. It's this huge emotional moment and then he's like he gives her like a slap on that on the butt. <laughs> because because he gives her this huge thing about how, you know, like all the dirty men out there do all of this work because they get just the the vague glimpse of looking at a woman, a beautiful woman like you. Like he he gives her yeah. a huge speech about that, but it's just funny that like again, there's this you know like the actual moment is obviously a very crude gesture but this again the depth of the feeling makes it feel bigger than that and also knowing that like even in his final moments he can't help but be like the dirty outlaw he's been for his entire life he still needs to be this you know this uh sort of regressive personality um in a way and i love that when he goes and him and bronson are kind of going off together and they play his little you know playful little organy theme that he gets and then he falls off his horse and dies and um the music like cuts out like the second that he dies. Cause again, his, you know, yeah. this man is, is gone. He's n- not in this world anymore. The romantic sort of fairy tale dreamier, um, kind of th- main theme comes back in as we get the shots of, you know, uh, Jill surrounded by all of these men who are, uh, building this, this new town and this world of progress. And, you know, she's giving them all, uh, she brings all the water out to the workers, which is something that, yeah. uh, um, Cheyenne told her to do earlier too.
0: And the train is coming into, um, so it kind yes. of it, it shows. They built it.
2: They built it just in time.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's cool too. They have a, a really awesome POV shot of the train uh, just going along the tracks, and all of the workers kind of getting out of the way as it's rolling into the the, the household. Um, it's it's very cool. I like that. And I also really love the idea of when Cheyenne is talking to Harmonica at the end, and he says, um, he's like, when they do you in, pray at someone who knows where to shoot. Because he's going through like <laughs> that kind of gut rot that he got from the shot from the yes. uh, from the railroad tycoon, I believe. Yeah, um, and I also like, yeah, that yeah, implies- which we didn't
2: mention. But holy shit, that dolly, uh, that low angle dolly uh, uh, along the train where all the corpses are, because Cheyenne oh, like murdered yeah. them all. Dude, what oh, a my shot! God. Yeah, and 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 then that bit when Frank comes back and and is seeing this massacre and what happened to his boss. And that bit where his boss basically like drowns in a mud puddle in that like incredible, almost like canted angle a little bit of Fonda standing on the train looking at his boss just die the most like painful, miserable death he's ever seen. As he spits in his direction. Yeah, and the Railroad Tycoon just gets, like, shit on the hardest in this film. Because even I oh, think yeah. even Fonda at one point describes him as, like, you know, when he's outside the train trying to, like, actually make deals and, like, make plans and stuff like that. He's just like, you look like a turtle without his shell. And yeah. he, like, at one point literally, like, kicks his crutch out from underneath him and is like, you don't have power here.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I also like the implication uh, when Cheyenne's talking to Harmonica about the end that he's like, when they do you in. It's there's an implication that it's going to be a violent end for him, no matter what. It's not like you know, you know, when you get old and pass away. He's just like, when they kill you, hope that it's a clean shot. <laughs> it's just, it it really speaks to their, the kind of lifestyle that they know they're
2: going to lead even after this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that is once upon a time in the West so maybe pivoting towards uh, the reductive rating round Uh, obviously this is like the the big old five easy easy. super easy five this is yeah one of the most um again, sort of like moody, ambient, doom laden, you know, Westerns that's wrestling with all of these old myths uh, that are like violently repeating themselves. It's wrestling not only with the American history, but, you know, of capitalism, but also just these old images that these old American filmmakers used to do all the time. Like, again, it feels like these characters are in the, you know, very last Western, even though he sort of evades having to actually do that in narrative if that makes sense like he 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 doesn't have to say to you you know this is about this all of these systemic things he does it in a very small intimate personally felt character drama about these outlaws and gunslingers who take their take their final bow as violent outmoded men and let the woman, you know, take her land and continue the progress? And it's just filled with so much mourning and despair. That's so fantastic. And again, it feels it has this uh, this funeral cinematic myth uh, making vibe to it. That's incredibly expressive and. Just the actual style itself just blows me away every single time um, that yeah, I watch it. Like the nuts. yeah, it's 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 the, the scale so stupid, is just un, unreal. Um, Honestly, yeah. it, it's like it's it's like those moments. Because remember when we talked about the finale of the Big Gun Down? That it gets so swept up in those characters' histories and their passions, and the Morricone score swells, in it it, it almost enters this fatalistic slow motion dream world for like ten minutes of the Big Gun Down. That is yeah. like what the majority of this is and just how it uses space and how it uses depth of field and the ambient soundscape and the rhythmic cutting and time. And, you know, again, it's beautifully staged and constructed and patient and yeah, just really, um, incredible and just a great action film and a great character and like a, a great, uh, expressive character film, um, at the same time. And the only line I have written down that we didn't get to, I wanted to hit, You don't understand, Jill, people like that have something inside, something (laughs) to do with death. And that to me is like absolutely what this whole film feels like. It feels like it feels like a like a ghostly haunted Mm -hmm. experience. That, you know, these are the last cowboys, uh, the last outlaws, and uh, they spend a final mission taking down one of the most brutal and sadistic, and and pointlessly sadistic, too, which is one of my favorite details about uh, Frank and Henry Fonda, the way that Henry Fonda plays him. Like, the fact that he goes down just because, for no reason, he decided to torture this kid, and he gets his comeuppance that way, it's such a great touch. But yeah, easy five. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Same. This is about as easy of a five as you could possibly give.
2: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. Big five for me too. I, like as soon as the opening scene happened, the first ten minutes, I'm like, yes. Like I, I'm absolutely going to love this. <laughs> I I know that every scene is going to have this kind of suspense and patience and scale and uh, of course uh, Morricone's score is just absolutely legendary. I I adore the harmonica and the effects they put on it, but still make it within. The reality of the world so it kind of just gives this very spiritual thing that he's doing and that definitely connects to his character uh harmonica um and yeah i just i just absolutely love this the colors are unbelievable um Mm -hmm. yep seeing fonda play against type and 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 not just play against type but play one of the most like sadistic evil people i've ever seen on screen is is which was just awesome especially just seeing 12 angry men in the oxbow incident when he's just like this all-around american trying to do the the best he can um and And as we'll see in my darling clementine yeah yes absolutely um like he has lines in this where he he looks at a crippled man and says something like i bet your life would be better with two legs huh something like that Like <laughs> he's just an absolute cruel man
1: he's um, a savage
0: yeah absolute savage uh yeah so yeah five out of five this is one of the best westerns i've ever seen um yeah
1: this was your first time watching it jamie
0: yes this was the first oh, time oh boy i'm so jealous it's it was unbelievable
1: Yeah, no, this is an easy five for me from the fucking moment you get that uh, nearly wordless opening to Mm -hmm. Bronson riding out in the sunset as the train rolls into town and the title comes spiraling at you instead of the (laughs) end card like it's just 160 minutes of fucking the grandest finale you can possibly have for the old West, you know, like I, I personally don't think that the revisionist Western is one of my favorite genres. In fact, I think this is one of the only ones I give a five to Uh, I'm Mm. much more inclined to like the classic Hollywood Westerns of the forties and fifties and even of the thirties. But this is just like the ultimate like i would say maybe mccabe and mrs miller i give the five and you know dead man is up there with me for sure Mm -hmm. but this is easily the most productive beautiful suspenseful and action packed uh and just like dense of all of the post classic hollywood westerns and it's the only one that i would put up there with my darling clementine and uh wagon master and stuff like that like the original classics
2: Mm -hmm. hell yeah all right, well, that is going to wrap it up for Once Upon a Time in the West. We are going to be right back and we're going to be talking about my darling, Funny Time.
0: Pioneer days, the romantic conflicts of men and women who led perilous lives, the lusty humor of those who dared America's frontiers, and the breathtaking beauty of scenes filmed in the magnificence of the great Southwest. <laughs>
2: All right, we are back, and we are talking My Darling Clementine, the 1946 American Western film directed by John Ford and based on the 1931 novel Wyatt Earp, Frontier Marshal, which is a uh, sort of semi-fictional biography of the legendary lawman and gambler of the American West named Wyatt Earp, many might know from the show Deadwood, and his subsequent involvement, involvement in one of the most famous gunfights in American history at the OK corral which is the uh sort of uh the structure of the film even though i would say that for a film advertised around and actually not even advertised but like uh, for a film essentially built around a famous shootout this is like not about the shootout this is not called the shootout at okay corral this is not it's 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 so fascinating that this was called my darling clementine and that despite the fact that this is a bleak post-war western in a lot of ways this is totally about the warmth of its characters and mm-hmm. the yearning that they feel and it's so it's such a passive relaxed movie in a way that really surprised me the first time i watched it and i think for some people could maybe you know make it seem a little light or slight but for me, yeah, it, it just is totally not. This is like yeah, a, yeah. a top tier um, Western for me by John Ford. And Jamie, is this our first time talking about John Ford? Do we need it Eddie th- to give us the lowdown here? Yeah, oh, I think boy. it's the
0: first time we've talked about him because I've only seen um, Stagecoach, I believe, other mm-hmm. than other than this film. now. Uh, yeah, oh, really good. Um, but get I'm, what I'm pretty, I said uh, off mic
1: about another one of my favorite filmmakers that you need to watch. John Ford, that's the priority. That is... yeah. yeah. Oh, John yeah. Ford, for those who don't know, is the greatest American artist of all time. Uh, it's kind <laughs> of as simple as that, in my opinion. Well, one thing uh, I
0: noticed, he, he said that he didn't even want to do this movie. And then you watch it, yeah. you're like, this is what you do when you don't want to do a film. That's, it's that's, one of the most yeah, beautiful
2: right? movies I've ever seen Yeah, in, bla- <laughs> in black and white, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And
1: yeah he's like, because- yeah, I'm,
2: I'm just going to shit that one out, whatever, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because after World War II, he kind of had his eyes on some bigger targets, I think, Uh, and so that's why, like, some of Ford's late '40s, mid '40s stuff after the war, uh, other than My Darling Clementine, does feel a little slight, and it's like building toward the '50s where John Ford makes kind of the canon of America, uh, mm-hmm. in the fifties with films like the searchers and the long gray line and wagon master. Uh, yeah. you know, th- these are the films that are American cinema in my opinion. And so for my darling Clementine, this one, as you said, it's, it, it could be perceived as slight, but it's because John Ford, more than any filmmaker captures the feeling of grace uh, the the gracefulness of poetry runs through his films like nobody else other than maybe Terrence Malick. I mm. think that uh, the, the scene where the Shakespeare uh, actor forgets his lines and Doc Holliday takes over the to be or not to be speech uh, in the middle of this Western and gives this impassioned recitation of one of the canon Shakespeare works is kind of the essential John Ford scene in a way, because it is, you know, the history of art and American iconography and just gracefulness of life. And, you know, whether you qualify that as God's grace or the way that life just flows as is, I think is just captured in this scene and throughout so many scenes of his filmography and he's also a guy who just likes to make movies where people fucking joke around, ride horses and dance <laughs> their asses off, you know? Yeah. Uh, this yeah. has one of my favorite John Ford dance scenes, which I think is a very yes. underrated aspect of the Ford canon. People <laughs> dance their asses off in, jo- in John Ford films. Like the Chuckawalla swing is a great one in Wagon Master, <laughs> but uh, the yeah. one at the church here is just incredible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that's one of my favorite things about Ford, because he he got started as a silent era actor, including, you know, uncredited, supposedly, in D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. So he was there at, like, the early moments of, like, large-scale feature film, like actually beginning to be a thing he and his brother was a his older brother was a vod film magician who actually broke into the budding film industry while it was just taking off so Mm -hmm. as a result his brother got him some gigs acting got him some gigs directing he did and he basically did what are known as some of the earliest westerns straight shooting bucking broadway eventually into the 20s the iron horse three bad men like he did he did so many like he established what the western I guess what you would call the, you know, the the visual cliches and the the mm-hmm. narrative devices of it. Like he was so huge in developing those yeah. as early as the 1910s and one of the pioneers of it. And then went on in the 40s and 50s to make, you know, what are considered the, the peak of the genre, the and when you know Hollywood was giving them so much money and they looked beautiful, as Eddie was mentioning, Stagecoach, Ford Apache, Wagon Master, the Searchers. And he was still around making them. Even in the 60s, when the revisionists were just getting started with mm-hmm. who, the man who shot Liberty Valance and how the West was won and things like that. So this is a man who lived and breathed the Western and knew how to be incredibly expressive with it. And one of my favorite aspects, because one of them was what Eddie was talking about, the mm-hmm. fact that he is always uh, invested in the small small American lives and these characters and how the, the, the depth of their emotion, even when they are being crushed by something larger, which is a huge aspect of his work, his spectacular framing of people and faces against like these, you know, these amazing vistas and surroundings and mise-en-scene very expressive use of them. One of my absolute favorites is in, um, how green was my valley i always think about the uh the black smoke from the coal mine that the entire Mm -hmm. town works at and how that makes its way into like the blue skies almost poisoning them for the families who live above like they're constantly aware of the danger that their family is in going you know actually into the mines um and then when you get stuff you know where like the characters actually do die or get trapped down there it's really really you know, painful stuff and beautiful at the same time. Um, so Ford is so good at at having, the, again, these very intimate stories that are, you know, expressive and framed on these larger backdrops that he has here. And the thing, and which we were kind of just saying, which is actually a good connection, we were just saying Leone does that uh, very well as well. But where Leone, I think, really leans into the the mood of you know this again this this more sort of like a dour mood to it i find that ford took something here that could have been incredibly fatalistic and dour and in some ways is when we get to the actual shootout stuff that takes place right but he just he populates it with a counter argument which is the life of these characters it's a movie that mm-hmm. lives and breathes with these characters um, mm-hmm. and just has like a lot of Fun with them like Eddie was talking About the 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 dancing Scene but there's even just the way that he talks About art one of my favorite sequences In it is uh, The uh, the theater actor in the Bar yeah. and everyone's sitting there being like We want this theater actor to, to uh, Do Shakespeare for us and everyone Gets incredibly angry and chaotic when They realize that he doesn't actually show up And then you go and you see him just Performing he's performing Hamlet right is That what he's doing I he's doing so. the to be
1: or not to be yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. So he's doing to be or not to be like on a bar table in front of a bunch of guys who just could not appreciate it less. <laughs> and that to me, in a lot of ways, speaks to, you know, uh, Ford's belief in as Eddie was putting it, like these grace and humanity and art and all of these things and finding room for them where other people might not
1: yeah Mm -hmm. no i mean in that scene he john ford is the fucking uh the shithouse shakespeare you know like he's just like (laughs) taking these dirty western boys and showing the true poetry that they got you know speaking of revision westerns it's like john ford's whole western career is like that scene in mccabe and mrs miller where warren Beatty's freaking out and he's like i got poetry in me damn it yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly
0: um I, I wanted to mention just that the very beginning, which I adored, uh, loved it, uh, was the way they do the credits on the spinning wooden
1: Oh, signs. yeah. On the signposts. Um, yeah. It's
0: so precise and so smooth, the way the camera just moves about all of this, the, the different signs and the credits. And I was I was wondering if there's more, um, is that a Ford thing? Does he do that often with uh, this kind of stylized no- credit sequence?
1: his credits are often pretty traditional like they're often like pretty grandiose obviously like is sure. you know his 40s and 50s films have those classic classic Hollywood opening title sequences mm-hmm. uh, but he does he does mess with the form a little bit like in this it is like a scene where you're yeah. you know the the camera is you know tracking across all these signposts uh, he has one of the earlier cold opens that I can remember in wagon master where you just have these unnamed characters like holding at this point unnamed characters holding up a saloon and shooting people and then the opening crew credits role and that's like a 50s okay. movie where it's like, oh, I had never seen that kind of shit in like a classic Western, you know. Mm-hmm. So Ford is always kind of toying with the formula, but the thing is he is a classical filmmaker at his heart because right. he was there since they started. Uh and he just finds, you know, perfect compositions and perfect cuts and stuff like that. Uh he's he's truly a perfectionist. You know, you watch his it movies feels and like maybe that, you think yeah. The form, like the untrained eye, might find his form kind of standard, but his style is so, so precise, precise. Yeah. He, when the studio would ask for specific coverage and mandate it, if there was a producer on set, he would literally hold his hand over the lens so that they didn't get coverage that he didn't want. Like studios <laughs> would be like, "Oh no, you need a close up for that." He's like, "Yeah, sure," and he would just fucking put his hand over the lens so that they didn't get the close up.
2: <laughs> what a yeah badass. no he, he he absolutely knew how he wanted to shoot and construct that stuff and you feel that basically like right away especially yeah. in like very precise um moments um
1: mm-hmm.
2: where like a character is really meant to be feeling something there's great shadows in silhouette work there there is amazing close-ups when he actually does decide oh of um, course. to do them um, but I, I do also just love because, you know, Jamie was talking about the opening credits and obviously there's the iconic use of the folk ballad that the film yeah. is actually yeah. named after in this, which is the uh, Billboard Top 100 banger of 1884. <laughs> um, oh, my darling Clementine. Just this guy. going Oh, my darling. Oh, oh my darling. It's incredible. I, yeah. It gets stuck in your head the second you listen to it. And honestly, on rewatch, it doesn't actually play that much in the film. I yeah, realized just that the I,
0: opening closing i think right
2: yeah and and it's not even that long like no, it's actually yeah. like very like it, it's it's very short and like the, the theme that's... repurposes and and you i think your brain just kind of does the rest of the work you just fill in the lyrics once yeah, they I'm, teach them to you after the I'm, opening
0: i'm pretty sure in the closing when it ends with the one note it's just the line my darling clementine and that's it and yeah. then it just ends so it's just kind of you know a, a exclamation point a
2: little bit the oh, way oh man use it. that
1: ending we'll get to the ending of course of yes course, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, but obviously for, for, a, for,
2: for anyone who hasn't seen it this obviously once again stars henry fonda but in one of his more uh traditional roles that he got known for uh playing wyatt Earp, and he's uh he's a cattle herder near uh outside tombstone arizona in 1882 driving a bunch of cattle to california with his brothers the famous Earp brothers where they come across a, a, an old man by the name of clanton who arrives in uh typical fashion dark hat dark clothes versus Fonda's light white cap and he tries to um uh, buy the cattle off him for cheap but he refuses because he knows that if he makes it to california he can sell them um for more and as in in typical john ford fashion he's doing this awesome like day for night kind of mm-hmm. photography that yeah. gives everything this um, like constant kind of dusk Quality to it and again mm-hmm. framed against these amazing landscapes and horizons filled with these characters kind of imagining that what's next for them at
1: night. The day for night cloud yes. work is just incredible. Yep. I've never you never see exterior night scenes with clouds like that and it's just it it contributes to the almost unreality and myth making of it all. You know, you get to a later John Ford film, like the man who shot Liberty Valance and the whole thing about printing the legend and how it's all yes. about mythologizing the old West. He's already working at those ideas in my darling Clementine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's even a line where he says, you'll be the man who shot Wyatt Earp. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, um, and, and there's, there's, a, there's another part too, where, um, the, uh, the character, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now. Doc Holliday, played mm-hmm. by Victor Mature. Uh, when when Doc Holliday, at one point, he is, you know, we'll get into it, but he's a pretty self-destructive guy for a very <laughs> specific reason. And there's a part where he gets really drunk and wants to get into a gunfight. And he literally just like completely wasted, pulls out his gun and wants to challenge anyone to a fight. And literally Henry Fonda's Wyatt Earp goes, like, why, like, why would you make this easy for them? There's so many people who would step up to be like, I'm going to be the guy who killed Doc Holliday? The, oh, that's what know, it was. Like yeah, the, the leg- man who yeah. shot
1: Doc Holliday, not Wyatt Earp. Yay, yeah Yeah, he wants to be like, the, the, right.
2: you know, like who wants to be the famous guy who killed this legendary outlaw character? And yeah, he goes like, why? But also, again, it's invested in like the personal reality of that where he's basically just like, you know, like, why do you want to be that guy? Like, why do you want to be some guy who just gets wish. killed? Yeah, yeah. Like, why do you why do you want to be killed so that some other dude can pad his stats? Is literally what (laughs) he says to him. He's like, "Don't you have more, uh, you know, ambition, or don't you have more, you know, uh, in you than that?" And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like, that's always something that Ford seems to be really considerate in his characters is how much these people can feel and how much value that that has.
0: Yeah. And like versus these
2: greedy outsiders who are basically like we don't they don't have any, you know, um, feelings towards human life. They're like, whatever, we'll just kill uh, Wyatt Earp's brother, for example, and steal all of his cattle because he wouldn't sell them to us.
1: And I love that reveal is incredible. And when it's raining and the black and white it just looks yeah. so good, dude. dude that shot of the horse and the corpse.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And the, the rain looks so thick, and it makes every because of the black and white uh, photography. It makes every puddle just look black, and and, yeah. and just it just feels so dark and and sad. Uh, and it, yeah, it's it's a it's like a hauntingly beautiful image in a way.
1: Yeah, so this is when the youngest of the brothers, James, gets killed by Walter Brennan's gang, uh, the Clanton boys. Uh, Old man Clanton is, of course, played by Walter Brennan, who is, uh, you know, if you haven't seen him in other movies, he's like the greatest... Uh, character actor in all uh, in classic Hollywood movies and he actually hated John Ford. They beefed heavy on this set because he could not fucking ride a horse uh, and Ford is just like, what do you mean you can't ride a horse? <laughs>
2: yeah, most most people should know Brennan. I assume as because uh, we've talked about him. I think we've talked mentioned him a Rio couple Bravo, times because right because we, yeah, we do Bravo. He's stumpy. He's yeah. incredible in that. Oh, I brought yeah. me from
1: dynamite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> uh but the, yeah he's I he's, he's awesome brotherhood in this this is a this is a movie about two sets of bros you know the Clanton yeah. boys and the Urp. and the boys. <laughs> and when you first meet the Earps, it's so sick. Like, they're all unshaven. They're about to roll into town. And you get a glimpse of James as, like, the young boy who's cooking for them. And uh, Virgil's like, you're cooking as good as Ma. And then he pulls out his little Catholic medallion thing, like this weird emerald thing that he has. Uh, and mm-hmm. Ward Bond playing uh, more says, there goes that Shingadera again. <laughs> Which I think <laughs> is the fact that John Ford got Ward Bond, who's a regular in John Ford ford movies to say the spanish phrase chingadera is fucking hilarious (laughs) uh just to mean like that thing that i don't know what it is but it could also be like a dirty word too uh (laughs) but yeah so like i think that this is such a good film about just like having your boys with you, you know, like uh, it's usually <laughs> more credited to Hawks, the classic Hollywood Western uh, male camaraderie. But I think the mm-hmm. male camaraderie in Ford films is so great too. It's more like, it'll focus more on the individual and the sadness that they encounter and it's more uh, of a grand scope thing but he was as good as anybody at male camaraderie films I mean w- look at the long gray line and the, the dancing and fighting that those fucking army boys are doing in that one and tell me he's not as good as Hawks is at male camaraderie you know well
2: and, and, and I love too that that ends up becoming partially the structure of this film is that they yeah. arrive into this town of tombstone for you know they're going to get a quick shave and they're going to be on the- their way but the their James is is murdered and their cattle uh, is stolen and when they're introduced to this town like he literally goes into the barber to get a shave and like literally <laughs> gunshots just start going off and women are screaming and he's like what kind of lawless like chaotic town is this and literally the structure of this film is that these good-natured boys these comrades they come into town and they literally through the sheer like just goodness of themselves start to actually bring some, you know, some some peace and civility Security. to this town. Yeah. Uh, because because so many of these
1: let's say some law and order if you will which is i wasn't going
2: to use those specific words but (laughs) thank you eddie let's (laughs) let's
1: face facts here the classical western is something of a conservative genre and that's why the revisionist westerns go so hard uh on it you know but i think that's what um that's the those are the myths that america was built upon you know it's true Mm. Yeah. and uh, it, it is, it, it's fitting it, it, that it is a very beautiful
2: myth even if it's yeah. not a not a not a real uh, thing <laughs> yeah of course and <laughs> or like, if we, applied really it uh, does not have the same effect like you do wish at a certain point that like yeah all these greedy dudes who are just murdering people to you know for profit it would be cool if we could just you know uh, hang out at a bar and drink and everyone just like you know started dancing at the local church and you know like yeah
1: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not how yeah, it works the, but in the world like, of John kind of Ford's darling
2: clementine that is how it works I,
1: I love how fond just over and over is like what kind of a town is this and it's like a great way to introduce the town and all the side characters that pop up and uh indian charlie that's who they're having a hard time with Yeah, like, yeah dude indian charlie's causing a ruckus and uh <laughs> henry Fonda's is like all right i guess i'll fucking take over and he fucking kicks him in the butt and like he's like he get out of so- town
0: i like that fun to kick somebody out of something and both movies here, just with a
1: yeah, totally. Well, I guess
0: the first one was a kick to the chest in in upon the west, but this one's a kick to the ass.
1: <laughs> so then he takes over marshaling, and uh, I love how after he finds James is dead, and he sees uh, uh, Walter Brennan again he's like, yeah, got myself a job Uh And so <laughs> at his first stop after getting the job of the marshal and his brothers as his deputy, which I, I love that that's his one guarantee in his contract. He's like, yeah, I'll be the marshal only if my brothers can be my deputies, which
2: is so sick. It's so invested in like these personal relationships as a counterpoint to like these people who don't have them and instead just operate in like the you know, we, we organize around money and selfishness and like these characters are, are supposed to be they, there's it's their personality versus that. Like a moment like when you were talking about when he goes in, because again he's going to get a shave. A totally normal domestic scene, just totally interrupted by bullets flying through that are Into coming. The <laughs> um yeah, that are literally coming through the building, so that when he goes in to go and get the guy to kick him out of the bar, the guy who's drinking, uh, there's a part too where he like goes up the steps to go sneak up behind him, and he goes through the window, and, he, and women just start screaming, and he's like, uh, "Sorry, ladies," you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like there's there's just there's so much uh, this strange side detail of life or when, and stuff um, that are just happening hmm. all the time that like, is so good. Like
0: I like the way that Fonda presents himself when he's he's got the uh, the outfit on. You know, I think he's become the actual. Mar- Marshal of the town and all of that. And he's just sitting on that chair with his hat over his face. And he's just kind of like playing. Uh, he, he's kind of balancing the chair with a, a post that yeah. he's in front of. And the he's just got pose. this very chill attitude about him. Um, like he, he's there trying to help people. And, and he's, he's a relaxed man. He's composed. Um, And I just I I really love love that that image. Uh, But then there's also like some moments, too, where uh, when he's when he goes into the town, uh, he's playing poker. And uh, who is the woman? Sure name is chihuahua chihuahua, chihuahua uh, yeah. played by linda darnell yeah and she's great um and she looks at us dude like she's cards. so
2: good I, I i was funny i mentioned it i think in the uh, sergio salima episode because dana andrews was in oh no sorry in the episode with jason because uh, dana andrews is the guy who gets killed in the oxbow incident he's the guy who gets hanged oh, and yeah. uh she is opposite him in a in like the very seductive femme fatale uh femme uh fatal character in fallen angel uh, by uh, Otto Preminger, and she's so good in that film. I just saw that on a print like a couple months ago, and I was t- totally blown away by her in it. I was like, "Who is this woman?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I no, love I love to to that her. the
1: poker. The poker is great because it's his first act as Marshall. He's like alright, first stop of business, who runs the gambling around this town? And yeah. so he goes and plays poker with them, and Chihuahua is helping out this dude, uh, cheating a little bit, and so he fucking just like dunks her in the Into water like trough, trough outside yeah. the bar. It's so <laughs> funny. Oh my god. And he just like holds her head under there for a bit too. <laughs> And I okay.
0: love it's. It's almost. It's not like a, a total. It's not a contradiction of his character at all. I think he's just trying to like lay down the law in that moment. But it is funny to see yeah, exactly. him go from like balancing on the post to throwing a woman in a trough. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. It's very very funny. So yeah.
2: Well, really and, the next and like also he's supposed to be really good hearted. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say like a chunk of this film, a big chunk of this film is just that first night of him as the marshal, where it's him playing poker. He meets Doc Holliday. The Clanton boys mess with him again. You have the Shakespeare guys. Uh, dude, when the Clanton boys mess with him and they pull guns and then they walk away and then Walter Brennan comes in and starts whipping his children and he's like, yeah, would you pull a gun? Kill a man. And <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. my God, dude, so hard. Really that establishes is like,
0: the relationship of the family that they have. There. Yeah,
1: because Walter Brennan is just such a goofy dude. Usually it's almost like a mini version of Fonda playing against type in Once Upon a Time in the West seeing Brennan as like this evil motherfucker in my darling clementine rules and it's more fitting because walter brennan avowed racist and huge supporter of the uh ku klux klan
0: apparently damn yeah he
1: was not the uh, warm friendly goofy old man that uh the movies made him out to be (laughs) i guess not but it's the next morning that Wyatt Earp strikes his famous pose where he like leans back in the chair and leans on one leg against the post and he comes to shot. that pose a couple times even playing a game once with it like where he's alternating legs uh, which hmm. is awesome yeah. but then Clementine rolls up her introduction you know and uh, when she rolls up he springs up from that pose straight as an arrow boing 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 <laughs> yep you can almost hear it <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah yeah well and 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 too i i I really like because on that first day that we've been talking about he basically is trying to through sheer small acts of you know just humanity trying to you know uh fight off the like just the palpable hostility and fear and chaos of this town like that theater sequence is one of my favorites specifically because the uh like the 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 presenter gets up there to be like sorry the performance is not going on the billing was wrong the guy is getting drunk at a bar again and everyone starts like freaking out and straight up they're just like the guy who lied to us on the poster outside we're gonna string him up and ride him around town a couple times you know like that that's their response to being cheated uh in the advertising by this guy and also the characters are like cheating at you can ride him
1: around town once on a post yes (laughs) i think that's fair one time around town is fair (laughs) Yeah, and and like
2: they're, they they catch them like cheating at poker and everything too. I mean, I even love that Fonda's response to that is uh, sure is hard to to a hard town to have a quiet game of poker in. He almost says it in like like uh, Fargo speak. Is it, like it, yeah. this is how like corny his kind of goodness is, and he's just like can't believe that people would cheat at fucking card games. And <laughs> yeah. and then when he meets Doc Holliday and he comes in, and Doc Holliday just sucks the air out of a room. He just controls a room because that's how much power. Yeah, Victor has.
1: Victor Mature, and this is the best I've ever seen him. He kind of has a Robert Mitchum quality in this role, specifically, yes. yeah, just a a, a understated, uh, really rough exterior, but an understated sadness within that obviously comes out throughout the movie in huge doses. Uh, but he, I don't, he gets know, some man. of the
2: best stuff in the film. Yeah, Honestly. absolutely. I mean, because, that because we're, we're introduced thing. to him as like a dark figure, a powerful yeah. figure, which is some, something I a lot of times associate Mitchum with. And, you know, like I think about Night of the Hunter, you know, oh, like yeah. And, yeah. and he talks about like, you know, you left your mark in Deadwood. A man could follow your trail going graveyard to graveyard. Speaking once again of uh, men following each other on trails, um, mm-hmm. just not not slime trails in this one. But yes, and uh, straight up uh, his response to that is like, yeah, and the one here is the biggest one. You know, yeah. like, you know, what, what, if, what if I took you out there? And, and you do wonder at a certain point, like this guy is incredibly dark. He has inner turmoil. He's very visibly sick. There's something kind of going on be- behind the scenes with him. And when that the reveal of that stuff, I think, is some of the most powerful stuff um in the film when Clementine shows up in town and we're introduced to her again very bubbly and we you know Fonda is immediately taken um with her and just her her presence and the way that she looks and she comes in and she goes, I am looking for John Holiday. I am looking and she and he's like, what the fuck? Why is she looking for like clearly like the meanest guy in town? It and it turns out
0: crazy dude
2: yeah and it it turns out that he fled Boston because he is dying of tuberculosis as we kind of got small hints of and uh, you know he his world was ending so he decided that he was just going to leave here and he fled across the country and so now she is basically scouring mining town to mining town uh, looking for him which is obviously a huge gesture like romantic gesture and he does frame that in this incredible two shot where you see like half their faces and the other half are like covered in shadows where Mm -hmm. she is straight up telling him like you have no right to like drink yourself to death and destroy yourself when there are people who love you. you like yeah you're yeah and and you know it's a really impassioned moment where you realize his chaos and his reputation as an outlaw it's sort of like the stuff with cheyenne like he's really well known as this figure of chaos and violence but yeah we are led here to know that they are clearly an extension and an expression of these internal pain and, and feelings that he has which are then expressed mm. in that amazing shot of him drinking alone in his room and hearing the music and dancing and hooting from below, and he's just you know sitting in his loneliness and he's looking at his own reflection in his doctorate. <laughs> yeah, <bad. laughs> and, and he throws the whiskey glass into it, like shattering his own reflection and stuff. Like it, it, like it's so interesting that people will talk about John Ford, and you know they will be like, you know, he had very basic shot construction with the wides and stuff like that, but you know every once in a while he could get really stylish when he wanted to.
1: Hmm. I mean, he was always just on it with the style. I I really think he's the great visual filmmaker of classic Hollywood. I mean, he's just my favorite filmmaker, so I have a a bias there. But I think it's really interesting because the lightness of the small town characters, as we said before, is always going to balance out the darkness of the interiors. When Clem rolls into town and you have those confrontations between her and Doc Holliday, where she's like, you know, get your shit together. Uh, you also have more of just exploring the town a little bit from the Earp side of things. And so at mm-hmm. this point, Wyatt Earp goes to the barber again and gets his shit fucked up, dude. The barber fucks up his lineup so hard, it's so funny, and he just wears a hat for most of the rest of the movie. Uh, <laughs> he checks in with his boys, uh, his brothers, which one of the funniest lines in this movie that i had never really noticed why, but like now I think is so funny, is when after he meets Clementine, his brothers come out and uh, he asks them what they were up to. Did you guys eat breakfast? Edward Bod says, ate a whole mess of ham and eggs. We did good and i just think hmm. him saying we did good in terms of eating a lot of breakfast is like <laughs> really funny and very just like it's so classic for these just like down home yes ma'am good old boys who are gonna clean up this old west town like they're just gonna eat a big mess of breakfast and go see what they could do to help fix out fix up tombstone you know yeah man these yeah. Are, they, these fellows are dreaming big yeah. Also, um,
0: I like I like to think about how frustrating it would be to be the bartender in this yeah. uh, in this in this town because there's so many moments where people just walk in, get upset, smash a glass, throw a glass across <laughs> the room. He's just kind of be like, guys, my inventory, holy hell, guys, right now. Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't even but, have like a busboy. Well, he, he also up. gets one of my favorite. It.
2: He he gets one of my favorite lines in the entire film, which uh, is is when uh, someone goes up to the bartender and he's like, Mac, have you ever been in love? I think Henry Fonda asks him and he Mm. says, nope, I've been a bartender all my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So good. Ever since I was six.
2: (laughs) Like, I love this. Like the really small character interactions in this are like really what like really are what send this one over the top for me because again the fact that it is engaging with its characters on such a human level like this and with so much warmth a lot of the time and generosity Um, like like this movie wants to spend time with these people have them develop respect and emotion for one another like this is a counterpoint an expression of passion and life in the face of this like horrifying bleakness and lawlessness and cowardice Hmm. and you know murder and everything that's kind of popping up along the periphery and it's so cool just how he doesn't have to once again go go out and just state that he just lives with these characters as that happens. Like when those churchgoers just like ride into town and they're like, Hey, maybe there are some good people around here. This guy just wants to go and and dance. And as Eddie was talking about the dance sequence in this is amazing. Henry Fonda. Those knees are going high brother. Oh (laughs) my
1: God, dude, Henry Fonda taking Clementine to the church. Like the, the pensiveness as he wants to ask her, Yes. Oh, her. It's so amazing. He, he looks like
2: he's passing a kidney stone,
1: like yes. waiting to see her. if she
2: wants to, to, if he wants to ask her to dance or not. If you yeah. watch
0: her too, as she's kind of waiting for him, uh, she she emotes very much like, uh, I'm waiting, like, come on, I'm kind yeah. of excited to do this. And when, and when he eventually gets the courage to do it, she's like ecstatic to do it. So I, I re- yeah, I love their uh, back well, and forth there. And I like also just the shot. What I really love is oh, so going up to the church. Uh, it's just like yeah. very, you know, it's a very big, uh, it's like a wide shot and you see the big, um, I think there's like a oh, windmill the, the, or something the, in the middle of it yeah. that they're dancing to. And you actually, actually see the construction being done. You see yeah. the singing. Yeah. It's yeah awesome. You yeah, there's, you there's the, the hymn as they're, they're approaching the, the church. It's yeah. very cool.
1: Yeah, the two big American flags with the big wooden platform is just an amazing image right there. Uh, yeah. I also love that... He kind of turns on a dime his idea of the church because of Clementine. Because when he mm. first meets those people, like he's nice about it, but him and his brothers are very dismissive once they leave, you know? And mm. then uh when Clementine's like, Are you gonna go to the service? And he's like, Oh, uh, yeah, f- of course I was gonna go to the service. <laughs> uh just being re- being religious to try to get a just a whiff of pussy, you know, a tale <laughs> as old as time. John Ford, that's why he's the great American poet.
0: Yep. Uh, so they
1: they go up there and he dances and it's just so amazing because everyone's dancing, but the, the, the church guy's just like, whoa, hold on, hold on, clear the dance floor. We got motherfucking uh, deputy, not deputy, sorry, uh, Marshall Wyatt Earp coming up here dancing <laughs> with young with his lady friend, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, well, by just, golly, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so awesome. And yeah, dude, his dancing is awesome. I love how high those knees are kicking up and it's, the way dude, straight up. Straight I was watching face. it with a friend and we were both like, man,
2: look at this man go. Like yeah. he is going off and on moments, these dance moves.
0: Moments like these are so relieving too, because you know, what we are looking at overall is uh, the reason that they're there
2: is because their brother was, was killed, you know, and then yeah. you, you honestly forget away. there's so much life and warmth in the film. You honestly forget for a while why yeah. they're still there. Yes,
0: <laughs> absolutely. It's like they, they almost just get used to the town like you do as an audience. And then, and then things of course start to come up to, uh, the, 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 uh, the top and, and explode but it's 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 a matter of um it, he just cares about his characters he doesn't want to constantly torture them even when they're going through something incredibly devastating that they're going through right now there, there's moments of like levity which is great
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's great because because like, you know, right away that when his brother is killed and he decides to take the job as the marshal and he's talking to Clanton where he's basically like, yeah, you were right. I didn't get very far, Mr. Clanton. My cows were rustled this evening. And now he's and then he says that he got himself a job and he asked him if it was for cow punching. And then he was like, no, no, no. I got it for marshalling. And he's like in Tombstone. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like you you set up you you know where this is all going on the periphery like you know that these guys are going to get into the gunfight at the O.K. Corral you right. know it the entire time everyone the, you go into this movie kind it's of inevitable. assuming that you know you know that that is coming and Fonda even gets a beautiful moment that we forgot to mention where he builds a grave and he talks to his dead brother's grave like mm. framed against the valley which yeah. is like just really beautiful where he you know uh, where he kind of state some of the ideas where he's like you know uh i'm gonna be around here for a while can't tell but maybe when we leave this country young kids like you will be able to grow up and like actually live safe and actually live life and you know like hopefully that happens and over the course of the film once again like he's just developing these personal relationships and getting very involved with these with these people and it doesn't come back until after this dance scene like you spend that That moment where he's in town, he doesn't actually spend a lot of investigating. He spends it just marshalling the town and having a good time and trying to clean up the town. So you actually don't come back to this element of the film of him, you know, finding out who killed his brother and getting revenge for it until this dance happens. And Doc Holliday gets really offended that, you know, his fiance is dancing with the marshal that he, you know, he's had has kind of a prickly relationship with. Right. And Doc Holiday decides to leave town uh, to go to Tucson, and which gets Chihuahua, who, you know, he's kind of, Doc Holiday has kind of struck up a relationship temporarily while he's been staying in Tombstone, gets yeah. her really upset because she had plans about them going to Mexico and getting married together. And it does seem very and
0: one-sided. It seems like Chihuahua
2: wants Doc more than Doc wants Chihuahua. You do really uh, feel for her, though, yeah. and like oh, that yeah. she wants something more than what this town can offer and stuff, too. Yeah, and, yeah I feel You know, ter- ter- there, there, there she- is a little bit of, like, a sort of of madonna horror kind of complex that they're getting <laughs> yeah, at a totally. little bit where, where she's like you know clementine is the beautiful sweet city woman and chihuahua is like the qu- the one of questionable morals right. and stuff like that but, then, but yeah she, i she mean, is- dude
1: when when they meet each other uh when clementine first meets chihuahua chihuahua says uh, who are you? I'm Doc Halliday's girl, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it, yeah. she's very and it's such a funny like slight introduction because it's like, oh God, she's such a, you know, uh, as Fonda would say in the other movie, what a little tramp. But then yeah. it, it her singing it in out that scene more. is awesome though. Yeah, yeah, no, it fleshes it out more and you see the true sadness there and yeah. the fact that she's singing Uh, the first kiss is always the sweetest under a brown sombrero every night (laughs) to these fucking drunkards in tombstone. And then doc holiday comes along and he cares. And then once he's so upset, he wants to leave town and he's drinking himself to death. She sings again and he's at the bar and he's like, she's singing right in his face and he just doesn't care. And it's so sad.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that, also the, the, the way that stuff that is Ford so good films this stuff man like the, the when he occasionally goes the to the high angle the shot,
0: stuff yeah yeah
1: the, but when he goes to the higher elevation shot inside the bar and you see that row those rows of light fixtures hanging off of it and just like the symmetry of it and the the quaint beauty of very simple things uh just perfectly framed and the play of light and dark and shadow in this i think it's his best looking black and white film on Honestly, it is true. And also, you know, look, I love the guy's films, but Quentin Tarantino said that John Ford wasn't good at shooting black and white. That's, he yeah, must dumb. have seen <laughs> he must have seen a colorized version of this movie or something. I don't yeah, know what's like, going how on How do you there? watch
0: this and not think this is some of the best black and white photography you've ever seen? It's, it's truly yeah. just rich with detail. And, and I, I mean, love the way they use shadows in this. It felt honestly, it felt a little more like it, it felt darker than yeah exactly it felt it felt more noirish in the sense of just the, the look of it um when it came to westerns and i i'm not i'm a little unfamiliar with more classic westerns but i had no idea that any of them looked like this so it's yeah, uh, yeah i think it's great no i mean the shot, wild.
1: <laughs> the shot the sunrise before the shootout at the ok corral where like you see sunrise through a close up on Walter Brennan and it's like all you see is his silhouette at first and then as the sun comes up supposedly off frame really there's cranking a light uh, but his face gets exposed by that light and that use of light and darkness on a close up of Walter Brennan waiting to kill these guys is incredible yep. man that hmm. that might be my favorite shot in the movie yeah
2: I mean per- one of my favorite examples of just like the way um that he shot this is after he's done the big set piece where he chases doc down because i think they catch chihuahua wearing uh james earp's uh uh uh, cross necklace and then they they find that that on her Yeah, and and, and she uh, says that Doc gave it to her because she's Doc's girl and she wouldn't have got it from another man, uh, which it turns out that she did. But she doesn't want to say that, right? Because, you know, it's not a it's not a nice thing to say. And so he chases down Doc and there's this. there honestly just is this amazing sequence by the way because john ford uh jamie you have seen stagecoach, stagecoach, so you yeah. know when it comes to like buggy chases and horse chases and you know like mm-hmm. the, the the dusty close-ups on the wheels as they're going the monument valley wides like god he's just the speed and the intensity and the framing for this era is really really impressive and clearly yeah, i mean you. they can't do this shit anymore like he was very clearly just running real horses like into the fucking ground um <laughs> Dude, but, it, it, but it looks where, fucking amazing and it's the gorgeous shot where and,
1: billy clanton shoots into that room because that's when she reveals that one of the clanton boys gave her the chingadera uh, as yes. <laughs> calls <it>. Uh <laughs> then you hear a gunshot and it's the clanton boy that she was also seeing on the side uh, yeah and he sneaks out through the window and then the shot of like him he shoots his gun in and actually shoots chihuahua you don't even realize that till later uh, yeah and he then runs through the roof and jumps off the roof and tumbles onto the ground that is a yeah. fucking silent filmmaking like that is the work of a dude who's been in it since the silent days that dude knows <laughs> yeah. how to shoot action in a classic Hollywood way better than it like mm-hmm. uh, maybe Sam Fuller later on in like the 50s yeah. uh, I would say is the only other like classic Hollywood filmmaker who shot action like that mm-hmm. one of my Ford favorite moments is- yeah
2: it is actually after the scene that you mentioned, because it's a really brutal scene where she finally tells the truth that she was seeing someone else and that it was one of the that was the person who killed um, James or who was part of the gang, the Clanton brothers who killed him. And yeah, she gets murdered for ratting him out, essentially. But my favorite aspect of this and what led to one of my favorite shots and just sequences in the film is that they don't immediately actually chase after the guy because yeah. they actually immediately start taking care of her because this is their yeah. vision for how this town should be run. So Doc is there operating on her and you know, I think the one brother um Virgil uh keeps chasing after him, but Henry yeah. Fonda and uh um it, so Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday stick around to actually make sure that he's okay. And there is just this incredibly sad Silhouetted close up of Henry Fonda with his hat, where you literally can't see his fucking face in mm-hmm. the bar, and then it cuts to this wide where they are performing the surgery, and it's honestly almost like a like a horror moment, the way that mm-hmm. it's shot and framed and everything, where they go, okay, like it's such low
1: key lighting. I do yes, think that there's... but
2: all of the lighting is on the fixtures above where they're going to operate on exactly. her, and not it's on the practical. rest of the bar so you get that long framing but before earlier it, he does he loves the shot of like the long frame where the bar is honestly like geometrically running along the entire composition. And he loves to kind of like signal where you should be looking down the eye line at the bar. And he, there's a scene earlier where he does it, where he's looking at Doc Holiday drinking at the end. And he eventually walks that path and goes up and talks to him. But now it's like that. And the entire bar is unpopulated. It's completely shadowy. And you look down and you just see a crowd of bodies surrounding where they are about to, you know, like perform surgery on her, which spoiler alert is, is you know, not going to go well. For her, yeah, um, she is going to the- die, and it's just it, it's such a like a beautiful like expressive moment of you know like the fear and the horror of this moment.
0: And I like that they have a moment between her and Doc as well, where it it, it you know it ends in sadness, of course, but th- there is a caring moment where I think he says it's a uh, like this is going to hurt like blazes, yell, scream, holler, anything you'd like, and he says it with this very soft, concerned, caring tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just as as sad as it is because it is like kind of a last moment. Um, it's at least a little bit better than their constant fighting that they've been, ha- but that we've been seeing prior. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's just a moment for Doc where he realizes, like, oh wow, she, you know, th- th- this was someone incredibly important to me, and I and I
2: want to at least try to comfort her in this uh, these last moments. Yeah it's, it's actually reckoning with these characters realizing and contemplating the things that they like mean to one another yeah, yeah, uh, and, exactly. and having that come out of these horrible situations, like her, you know, getting shot and killed by, by Billy and then having to, you know, get into the sequence where they actually chase down the, the, the Clanton brothers, which by the way, Eddie, you might be able to correct me if, if I'm wrong here. Cause I've only seen, I think uh, nine John Fords. And mm-hmm. that sounds like that might sound like a lot, but it's not the dude made a million films. <laughs> so, um, I don't think I've ever seen a moment as, like, just blatantly shocking and undignified and Mm. inhuman as the moment where Virgil gets shot by the shotgun by Mr. Clanton. Oh, my God. It's so quick and cold.
1: Tim Holt, playing the second youngest Earp boy, Virgil Earp, uh, goes to check on uh, the Clanton boy who shot uh, Chihuahua, and she's. And he's dying, you know? And uh, so it's like this somber thing where it's like, I guess, you know, reconciliation with this family, people are just killing each other. We have to just take care of each other more. And then he just gets shot in the back by fucking yes, saying Brennan. too bad. It
2: had to end this way. Like, I'm yeah. sorry for your loss, Mr. Clanton. Yeah. You know,
1: and yep. he old man Clanton Walter Brennan just has a shotgun on his lap and just shoots him in the back and honestly but, but it's, but it's, one it's of the, the framing of it it's the fact that I've Virgil is like
2: walking out the door towards yeah. the camera and then he just a shotgun shot he falls and then that reveals in with the lighting in the room that there yeah. he is with the shotgun and it's he falls so fast he gets it's so shocking and he gets no chance to like you know like it, it feels like all of this whole again this life just stripped away immediately because Mr. Clanton just literally does not give a shit about it at all it's horrible yeah. no
1: yeah, There are moments that swing that dramatically in the Ford filmography, but nothing that savage in terms of shooting him in the back after saying, I'm sorry it had to end this way. Uh yeah. but trust me, if you take down some more Ford masterpieces, you will get that feeling uh many a times. Like okay the ending of the long gray line, I think, is like one of the most insane things I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, There's a flashback that's kind of similar to in Once Upon a Time in the West that informs the entirety of the character's purpose. Uh, And that's in The Quiet Man, uh, where he went back and filmed in Ireland with John Wayne and Maureen Uh, O'Hara. There are plenty of John Ford masterpieces that will just like have a moment or two that just fucking knock you out of your shoes, basically. Mm hmm.
2: Damn. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to check them out because I I find the ending of this, because of how much time we like again spend like generously with these people developing respect and uh, you know the emotional lives and expressing that like it does make the violence sting harder even (laughs) though you know from the very beginning that it's coming you know the setup you know the history of this of this moment and you know that it's coming but there's still something so crazy about seeing like the arc of Doc Holliday who is like this very you know he is a, a chaotic force but only because it's an expression of you know his own pain and inner turmoil and then you get him coming to kind of come around on that. And instead of becoming a destructive force briefly, he tries to become a life preserving force and literally tries to perform surgery on chihuahua and then you know he ki- kind of comes around and they even say like you know we're really proud of you john like she was a really brave girl and then yeah. he attends the shootout and just gets
1: fucking murdered
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no, <laughs> just in time to like want to live life again like it's it's crazy well he because said. he knows
1: he's gonna die from his tuberculosis anyway and it, yeah. it, like he instead of drinking himself to death at least let's go out with a purpose you know and yeah. so he joins up with the earth boys for the shootout of the okay corral yeah because and- they
2: throw Virgil's corpse in the fucking streets yeah, yeah at just them. insulting and-
1: that shot of the reveal of that to the other ERP boys, where Fonda gets down on a knee and holds Virgil's head in his hand, and uh, Ward Bond is standing by, he can't even look at it. Like, he is just like, yeah. you know, he's the oldest of the brothers, it seems. And he is just like, how have I let this happen to my younger brothers, you know? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. And so, him, Henry Fonda, and Doc Holliday, Victor Mature, go up against the clanton boys and when doc holiday gets killed he is leaning up against a post it's almost like the way that people shoot jail cell shots often where he's like Mm -hmm. imprisoned by these posts at the OK corral and he is waving his white handkerchief he has his white handkerchief and in the wind it's waving like a white flag like he's finally like he's like okay i've done enough harm to this world I've tried to do some good here. He fires one last shot at one of the fucking Clanton boys and gets him and just like dies. But that that image of him with his one hand up against the post and the other hand with the white handkerchief is just so poetic and sad to me.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah I also love and to speaking a little bit about Once Upon a Time in the West that long shot of them just slowly approaching with no yeah, score dear. it's the same thing it's the ambient thing like you hear yeah. you you just see that you see the the wooden fencing kind of blocking the landscape a little bit and then they're just walking along these dusty streets you hear them stepping on the wood plank porches and walking along the alleys and everything like it's very calm it's very waiting and you know he's being like you know we're gonna serve a warrant for this guy's arrest I'm not even gonna kill this guy like Wyatt isn't even going for specific personal revenge. He's Mm -hmm. like, I'm the marshal. I'm doing that first. Um, And yeah, then they get into the big gunfight, which is like incredibly framed, like through the dust and like the the horses interrupting the framing and everything like that. It's incredible. Yeah.
1: And like uh, that 30 second sequence of them walking up with no score or anything and the suspense that that builds, I feel like those 30 seconds are what Leone made into 10 minute sequences, you know? Yes.
2: Yeah, <laughs> 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 um, Which is incredible that, fun, that, that someone that could do that fight. and, like, you basically be just as enthralled by them.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm so after yeah. the aftermath of the final gunfight uh they kick walter brennan out of town which is hilarious because he's obviously not going to give up he like faux surrenders and they are like get out of town and then he's as he's walking away he turns around and tries to shoot them and ward yeah. bond just fucking clicks him three times just like uh knocking the hammer back with his opposite hand the awesome way of old-timey shooting uh and shoots him dead and then uh you don't even. Get I also love
2: the reasoning for not killing him too, though. Where Henry yeah. Fonda, he delivers this line super well, where he's just like, "Get out of town and live a hundred years, yeah. so that you can feel what my paw does."
1: Oh my god, dude! <laughs> because because so they murdered good.
2: all of his his sons in the gunfight. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, so, so good. good. So then he gets like. After that you just immediately go back to good times. It's like, all right, let's go say bye to everyone in town and have a good time again and everyone's like, "Oh, yeah. thank you, Wyatt. Earp. I love you so much." Me it's like my the brothers end of Star were Wars to you. Cle- yeah, it's, Clementine's going to stay
2: and start a school.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. And uh but it's saying goodbye to everyone except Clementine, of course. And then he yeah. gets his final goodbye to her. these posts that are like you're exiting the town basically there's no signage or anything it's just these wooden posts uh that's like a gate kind of and Mm -hmm. his brother kind of goes ahead and he stays back and gets off his horse and they have that interaction and that handshake and that you know if i ever see you again or if i'm ever in town again i'll look you up kind of thing and uh you know for a guy like doc Holliday, who's all about to marshal in with his bros and trying to maintain order, sometimes that is as close as you'll ever get to love, and that's okay for a character like that, you know? Uh, that is the most romantic moment of his life, probably, and it's just. Him shaking hands with the girl, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Which,
2: by the way, I might, I, 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 because I know that there, this was released in a different version, and you can now watch the pre release version that came on the Criterion Blu ray of the film that got re released. But the original version, they are that when they went because they made him reshoot it, right? That he had to go and he had had to like shoot
1: a kiss, yeah, yes, and they struck that from like, uh, like that was in the pre release version, it wasn't the kiss, and then yeah, so if you watch the best version to watch is on the Criterion Blu-ray and it's the version that was, uh, by the UCLA library, uh, their restoration of it. And it's actually quite a grainy print. Like there's a lot of scratches on the print and stuff like that, but it looks yeah. amazing.
2: It's, it still looks amazing. And also yeah. it, it does and remove like, 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 like the, the theatrical put like some more like cutesy music rather than yeah. like the ambience and the patience. And mm. yeah, like, uh, like it's, it's, and this ending I think is the most important part because it's exactly what Eddie's saying. Like this is a huge romantic moment and he's just like shaking hands with a woman who's like town, you know, she, she might now construct to be something better than what it was when he rode into town. Now that he's leaving, he's hoping anyway, that that's what she's going to be capable of doing by leaving it in her hands in a way. But yeah, he just like like, shakes her hand and it says so much. And Um, much
1: like once upon a time in the West, Uh, it's Henry Fonda here instead of Charles Bronson riding into the sunset and a woman, uh, taking a a large responsibility in the progress of a town, you know?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: They have the same ending. It's, uh, it's amazing. It doesn't get much better than this. The cinema.
0: Yeah, and that shot, too, of her just, like, standing alone as you actually see Fonda join his brother way off in the distance because it's just this yeah. grand-scale landscape oh my shot.
2: Darling. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Really, really uh, beautiful stuff. Yeah, that long shot. He really saves the Monument Valley stuff for, like, the really spectacular long shots yeah. That, yeah. that he He's does. He's so specific there.
0: with his backgrounds, too. Like, when they're uh, when Clementine and Wyatt are talking for the last time and it's just kind of, like... Them. It's a very symmetrical shot, but in the background, you can see all of these like tall rocks, and they're all placed like in between them perfectly. It's just so well composed.
1: Yeah, he's yeah. so precise and he operates on such a poetic level that he can't explain it. Like, it's not yeah. logical, it's just what just works for the sake him, of yeah. art. There's that story of Steven Spielberg meeting John Ford when he was young and first was like getting on back lots and stuff like that and John Ford was like so you want to be an artist uh, and he turns around and like looks at a a painting a western painting that John Ford had in his office And he, I think he asked Spielberg like where the horizon line was on it, and (laughs) uh, you know Spielberg pointed it out. And ever since I heard that story, I've thought about where Ford places his horizon lines. Anytime I have a wide, anytime I am looking at a wide exterior shot, and Mm -hmm. it's it's never arbitrary. There is always a reason for the. Uh, elevation and higher low angle, and what rock formations mountains or just flat horizon he's capturing uh in you know the background of these characters, and I don't know it's it's more than a storybook ending. It's more than a Hollywood ending. The ending transcends medium. it's just like one of the most beautiful romantic expressions I've ever seen in any art form, honestly mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Hell yeah! Well, pivoting towards a reductive rating round. Uh, this one is a five for me as well. This is just nice. for me. It's one of. It is just you know. It is. I've only seen you know like nine or ten Ford films, and uh, I've given a, quite a few of them the five. But this this does make, like is probably my favorite um, Ford that I've seen. I find it super part of that is I find it incredibly easy to put on and just want to spend time yeah. in its world, like the bars and the barbershops and the dancing and the music. And like, I really love the life and the patience and the, um, you know, like that very specific kind of relaxed, passive, dreamy quality that it has with its characters. And then how that is literally used as a direct symbolic counterpoint to the lamp light, the lamp lit shadows of this, you know, this uh, fatalistic tragic town that has so much, you know, destruction and with dark Holiday, self-destruction. And, you know, it's, it's a haunted place of questionable moral values when he rides into it. And when he leaves, he hopes that it's going to be made into a better place, but it, it is very telling that we don't see that happen. It, it, does remind me of when he's sitting at the grave and he, it's, it's just a hope. It's a dream. It's like a, he talks to his dead brother's grave that he sets up and says, hopefully one day, there will be a place where young people like you aren't just like killed pointlessly and sadistically by people like this for no mm-hmm. reason. That that instead we would have uh, incredible Henry Fonda high knee kick dancing, and I think <laughs> that that surprisingly is like such a deeply felt thing. Um, in this film, this community versus this inhuman greed that's like bubbling up. And and the fact that he just, you know, he's confident enough to not have to, you know, feel like he needs to underline and underscore every element of that. He's like, no, 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 you should just spend time with these people and have yeah, that feel like it naturally arises out. from them. Yeah, like it, it feels like it just naturally comes out of these characters and the, the lives that they live. Like it, it really, they do feel like living, breathing people. Yeah. Um, even though this does have kind of like a post-war bleak, you know, fatalistic, tragic aspect to it that's still there. And I, I just find it so interesting that John Ford found a way to, you know, fight that off through, you know, both the way that he, he, he shot it, which sometimes he's expressing the darkness, sometimes expressing the lightness, you know, it's that dichotomy constantly that's fighting, but also with just incredible performances and the way that he shoots actors' faces and the way that they look at each other, it's filled with so much yearning and passion. And yeah, I, I get a, a lot, um, out of this and yeah it is just you know personally one of my favorite john fords that i've um seen so pretty easy five for me uh, as well and also i wanted to mention the last thing last note that i had written here that i wanted to cite because i didn't get a chance to bring it up naturally um people who have cited this as one of their all-time favorite films that you should know mm. uh, obviously we can probably include leone on the list um mm. based on how much he references it but sam peckinpah who nice. was someone who also would go and, you know, uh, kind of take this genre to task in different ways, but someone who also very clearly naturally loved it. Like you see that in the wild bunch, uh, yeah. Michael Mann uh, and President Harry S. Truman. I just wanted to get that last <laughs> one in there. So wow. we are all like those great men. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. Right. Right now. I think Spe- speaking just- of the American qualities, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right now, I think I'm gonna go just with a very, very, very strong four—the the Jamie four. TM. I'm so glad I'm here for um, a Jamie
1: four. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> the
0: only reason is just because this is my second John Ford, and I'm not very familiar with uh, classic westerns yet, and so I just want to dive in a little more before I start deciding what I think is my my masterpieces. Right. So. Um, but I mean, I love this. I think the photography is beautiful. Like we were saying, I love the, that one scene um, where they utilize rain when, the, when they find the brother's dead body. It's just so sad and dark and haunting. Um, mm-hmm. I love the way they also use not just natural light, but like like uh, lantern light. Like there's a really great uh, moment where it's after uh, Chihuahua passes away and they're talking about her at the bar. And Mac, the bartender, eventually, as they're leaving takes the lantern and it just completely gets rid of all of the lighting and it goes completely black basically except for the light that you can see at the end of the bar as he's walking towards the the exit um and it's just beautiful it's just so well thought out and it does kind of accent a little bit of the sadness of loss um but then having Mm -hmm. to move forward and it's just in that one shot and i thought that that was great and there's obviously tons of examples like that so i just need to 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 watch more ford so I'm, I'm going to do that gonna make it a priority yeah, jamie's
2: gonna get a boot he's gonna prop it up against a beam sit in a chair <laughs> and yeah, he's I'm going to clockwork move. orange himself through all the cla- all the classic westerns yes and, honestly uh, if absolutely. jamie
1: rewatches this and doesn't give it a five next time we're putting him on a post and riding him around 10 At least <laughs> yeah one but, only but only once yeah, only a- only yeah. <laughs> you gotta be fair you gotta be fair can't be cruel about
0: it um, but yeah, yeah. But fantastic. So I, I imagine this will get the five eventually, but I just need more time.
1: Uh, yeah, this is the easy five for me. This is like, I, I think I've said this on Twitter or something before. It's the greatest film I've ever seen. And also like my fourth favorite John Ford movie. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> the man was too good at making movies. Uh, you know, I, I think we've said enough on what this film does and how it achieves it. And I just want to say, if you haven't watched more John Ford films do so, these are my final Mm -hmm. thoughts on my darling Clementine is that somehow it doesn't reach the, the heights of the long gray line or wagon master Mm. or the searchers for me. Uh, The long gray line is like, I mean, to quote Jean-Marie Strobe, now that's an experimental film. Uh, (laughs) The laundry line just shows Tyrone Power's life in the military academy, uh, from you know, a young recruit to an old dying man who's seen everyone in his life die around him, and all he's known is a commitment to the US military, which is very apropos for John Ford, who is a US military man. You can also see films that he directed for the US military, such as as uh, a a hygiene, a sex hygiene film. So that, so, so that soldiers didn't get STDs in the war, uh, as well as like the Thank official, that's a, uh, yeah, that's propaganda <laughs> capturings of like the battle of Midway, uh, the battle of Midway, that propaganda film that's credited as directed by John Ford, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. so then you watch something like the wings of Eagles, which is about, yeah, you, you, know, you you
2: could, you could get a, a lesson in just American history, yeah, just like watching yeah. and, 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 and the, the the history of the medium by starting watching his early you know 1910 silent era stuff up to the 60s and you you could basically the first half of the 20th century you could probably get America's story out of John Ford's filmography so (laughs) definitely worth looking into it
1: yeah, sorry to go so long on this. I was just going to say, "The Wings of Eagles" no, 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 literally problem. about giving yourself over to the military and Hollywood making military propaganda. Where you have John, uh, a Ward Bond uh, from this film playing like a John Ford stand-in, almost as John Wayne mm-hmm. goes from being like a famous pilot to being a guy who writes Hollywood movies about the military. Uh, oh, that's and like, uh, yeah, like it's. Just watch John Ford movies. Five, yeah. five, 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 five.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all a- of them. Especially, too, if you're really into revisionist stuff and you do wonder like you know you want to actually see the things that they were responding to because a lot of time people will talk about revisionist westerns as like the ones that finally got thematically serious Mm. and it's just not true like you go back and you watch the old hollywood ones a lot of these guys were talking about many of the same ideas they just weren't Mm. able to be at or maybe didn't want to be as you know frequently as vulgar as those you know filmmakers were able to start being in the 60s (laughs) and 70s yeah but like like, this has, you know, like, all of the beats of a righteous, heroic Western in every way, classical, but it does still really feel low-key and downbeat. And There is a it, sadness it is, it here is, that I
0: wasn't expecting,
2: for sure. Yeah, it, it it is, like, investigating a lot of these things that it is also building the myths for at the same time. And I think a lot of people sometimes don't necessarily, you know, realize that. I mean, most mm-hmm. people hopefully will have seen The Searchers, which, Jamie, that should probably be the next one you do. Yeah, absolutely. Just... Just one of the best. One of the best. So, uh, yeah, Actually, everyone watch I think up on genre. Strangers
1: is low key kind of racist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Eddie!
1: Are we going to no, start no, this debate no, now? No, <laughs> no. It, is, it is as easy a five as any of his movies. It's one of the greatest <laughs> films of all time.
2: <laughs> I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, that, that, that last shot of it, I mean, it's iconic for a reason, but I, I do think about it just like regularly in the framing of the doorway and the shadows Oh, and of course. Of Who just, could
1: forget? Mm. Uh, and maybe I'll. Uh, I'll retweet this old tweet uh, when the episode comes out, but also who could forget uh, in in eddie history when i was in grad school and they did a side-by-side comparison of that last shot from the searchers with captain america at the funeral at the end of uh infinity war or whatever that was uh, We he's like, standing at the doorway a similar way uh no. good, good times <laughs> in academia so by the way that's really no. my if i'm gonna plug anything it's to drop out of grad school if you're in it
0: <laughs> that that's the plug that's what we're encouraging on this show today <laughs>
2: You get anything from this two and a half hour episode? That is it. It's so funny. I remember Eddie, you telling me that story too. That's it's unbelievable. Like even you put those two things side by side, like just the the framing and the lighting. Come <laughs> yeah. on, guys. Come the fuck on. So funny. Get real.
1: <laughs> yeah, watch John yeah. Ford movies instead of going to school. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right that feels like a good place to wrap it up. That was once upon a time in the West from 1968, as well as my darling Clementine from 1946. Thanks so much. Once again, Eddie for, for, uh, joining us and for bringing these films with you and going along with us on these. Um, this is the part where obviously we have you things plug. You've already plugged your first thing. Uh, don't go to grad school. Um, (laughs) watch John Ford films, but if you've got anything uh, else to plug while you're around, is, is there anything going on in Eddie world that we should know about?
1: Oh, let's see. There are plenty of uh, you could see my work on television. Uh, (laughs) That's right. No, I probably I might get an on on screen credit for this job that I'm on right now. But I, you know, I'm taking it easy these days in terms of the the creative stuff. I'm just working. Uh, Yeah, my boys on sets. Yeah. Yeah. I work as a set dresser in Hollywood now instead of doing podcasts. Uh, But I might do another one Honestly I've been thinking I've been toying around some ideas It wouldn't be a regular show like Mm -hmm. weekly Because I can't do that anymore That's why we ended extended clip Would it be kind
0: of random like whenever you can Yeah
1: like it would be I would probably do Like a record a bunch like record Like a season when I have a couple weeks off Of work and then release those sporadically You know yeah Uh, yeah. but it's it's Still in the it's in the gestating Stages I'm still just fucking kicking Shit around in my apartment (laughs) Uh, but anyway, what I'm actually going to plug is you can listen to my old podcast, Extended Clip. It was me, J.T. White, a f- former guest of this podcast, and Malcolm Baum, hopefully future guest of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we did it yeah. for like fucking two and a half years. And there's plenty of all the Patreon episodes are free on the main feed. And you can fucking listen to it. It's, uh, you know, I'm printing the legend. Extended Clip was better than whatever <laughs> other film. Pod- I've listened to these other <laughs> film podcasts. They're fucking tr- horrible like you guys are you guys are burning the torch at both ends just to make a great podcast but like these other guys what are you doing uh, I, I heard this one from New York that was like uh, I'm not going to get into details but like Jesus Christ man learn a little bit about movies uh, anyway anyway <laughs> So listen to Extended Click for a good movie podcast. I'm still on Twitter at iPod Video. Uh, I'm still on Letterboxd, uh, Letterboxd.com. Just look up Eddie on Letterboxd. I'm the first one that comes up. and uh, He's yeah, the that's only it. Eddie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eddie. Uh, for our listeners, we are going to uh, be back in one week's time where uh, we are going to be finally moving away from Western month here on the show that just mm-hmm. happened. And we are going to be talking about sexploitation, which we've kind of uh, covered on the periphery a little bit. You know, things like we've talked about Andy Milligan. We did yeah. sort of like women in prison films. And, we, you know, we've done some stuff that are in sex exploitation genre, but we are going straight back to the originals by talking about doris wishman who was one of the few female filmmakers who got to work in a very uh four men by men genre where naked women were on the posters and as long as that was the case uh (laughs) and they were topless at some point in the film you could make whatever you wanted from there so we're going to be talking we're gonna be talking her film uh, "Bad Girls Go to Hell," which is almost her variation on a sort of like domestic hysteria, repulsion kind yeah. of style film nice. in that genre, uh, which is one of her early films from '65. That's After she was done too, doing her. Yeah, and and it was after doing her uh, nudist films that she did, and then, and then uh, we're gonna bypass her weirdo '70s era where she did films with Chesty Morgan, the woman with a 73-inch bust who <laughs> used her boobs to, to kill watch women. Those.
1: We're going to yeah, do them at some know, point, but we're, we're Jesse Morgan. <laughs> uh, her and I actually had a thing, but it's like not a big deal. Yeah,
2: of course. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> Can't talk about it. Um, we're going to bypass her 70s phase and go straight to uh, one of her final films. Other than her very late 2000 stuff she did as you know, in her 80s and 90s, a film called a night to dismember classic, uh, classical or. Yes. So we are going to be, which, which was her attempt, uh, post Halloween at doing a slasher and, uh, Spoiler alert! Like losing half the film negative in the process yeah. and basically having to re-edit it and save it into something. And as a result, it feels like just it's incredible surreal film. nonsense. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But it's but it's but it's amazing and gory and you know she's she's an exploitation legend. So we're going to be excited to talk about that. And then in two weeks' time, we are going to be back with a uh, special guest where we are going to be talking uh, sort of in relation to Doris Vision, We're going to be talking about more female filmmakers. We're going to be talking about Italian girl bosses doing. World War II films. We're going to be talking about (laughs) The Seven Beauties as well as a film called The Skin. Now, I haven't seen either of these films, but I've been promised by our guests that they are uh, really (laughs) underseen and really amazing. Yeah, The Skin is hard to find.
1: I got to say seven beauties in the skin was going to be Hessa's next double feature that she brought to extended clip. So oh, I'm not saying you guys are
2: stealing Dude, it's swag. poetry. It yeah. rhymes. It's, it rhymes, <laughs> yeah.
1: So I can't believe that you guys are having me on in between Jason and Hessa because like I went to New York recently and those were the only two people I met up with. Uh, Jason and Hessa were my fucking NYC tour guides. We hung out at Dime Square. Uh, oh <laughs> we baby. Fucking clandestine and you know, Metrograph. It was sick. Uh, I love both of them. They're awesome.
2: Yeah, we've, we've yeah. got the crew. Yeah, we've, we, we we should have all of you on at some point. Get you guys on the couch. That get you guys with your mics going. Episode.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be a wow. little too wow. much yeah. to handle. I think we would have to put that behind like a $30 paywall.
2: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We'd
1: have to go Rogan on that. Go like five hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah but yeah that that'll uh that'll wrap it up for everything this week thanks so much uh everyone for listening and keep it sleazy keep it sleazy keep it sleazy i was sexy